0: Welcome to We Got No Podcast. Today we have episode number two with Kim Kinnikin, best known as the guitarist turned vocalist guitarist for Vancouver Canada's Sparkmarker. Kim played a huge part in the all ages hardcore punk scene here in Vancouver in the nineties, and it was great catching up with him about the past, his bands, what he's up to now, the future, and everything in between. Spencer, our drop in guest host, was pen pals with Kim back in the days, known Kim now for over thirty years, so it was a pretty cool interview. It's a long one, at just over two hours and we hope you enjoy it. Before we start, if you'd like to help out and support the podcast, please hit that like button on whichever listening platform you're using, and also subscribe to be kept up to date on episodes we have coming up. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, and without further ado, we gotta know episode number two with Kim Kinnikin. Here we go. You got him? We got him. I don't have him. Hold on, he's coming in. There you go. There Kim. he is. Can you hear us, Kim?
1: I have just turned my audio on. Hi guys. How's it going? Hey, good? Good, good, man.
0: Good, good. Good, good to see you. How can you guys
1: hear me? Is that all right with this? Um, yeah? you're the ones recording it. And you so you guys told me. Spencer, I can barely see you, man. Where are you? He's in the dark. Uh, I, 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 I see like a shadow. You're like like an icon where it's like this, like like there we go. There you are. <laughs> how's, it how's it going, buddy? 40 like, uh, years, uh, man. What's that? Thirty years. Thirty years is that long since we've known each other? I'm turning wow. my volume up.
2: Tim, this okay. isn't this isn't Chry Kim.
1: <laughs> no, what? <laughs> it's been too long. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're, you haven't stopped doing radio since uh, I we stopped, started writing.
2: Yeah, I stopped in '95. No, no, but I mean, this is like you're doing it again. This is like a rebirth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Less pressure though. We're not live. That's good. So, anyways, you're looking good, buddy. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yourself as well. Good. uh healthy hopefully uh all things considered sure i mean i'm keeping things in i I don't know if you guys i've been posting i posted recently about my my cancer diagnosis a a year year ago so it's like you know that's my new life so uh with that all things considered um you know i sleep a lot uh because my kidneys are aren't aren't functioning that well so you know it's like i have to it'd be best if i ate little bits throughout my day but sometimes I don't, and then I eat a big meal, and then my whole system just like. As I always t- I tell people it's like a, it's like a hi- driving on a highway, and it just this traffic gets backed up, and and and, and so then I'm like, oh, it's weird. so. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I don't mean I'll I'll bring this up a lot. I, I have no mind talking about it, but some people find it a bit. I'm a bit dark about it, but I'm just sort of like you know, uh, of all the ways things to go, I'm not in pain. I'm I, 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 my, if my kidney shuts down. You know what i mean like i i was asleep so um you know uh uh not that i want that to happen but uh the other alternative is that my bones will break and then that would be painful you know but um that that's not where i'm at right now and uh i, I did chemo already so uh the next dose next time i have to do chemo would be forever and and i've already decided i won't do that so so happy i did chemo Wouldn't be talking to you today I, i would have died and i'm here that's amazing um but yeah i don't want to go through that again that's you know now that i have that focus it's like all right wrap things up let this be the last chapter and make it good no good to hear man How are you guys doing can't yes. complain can't complain yeah we're doing a after i shared that no it's just like it's, i don't need to, to you guys it's okay. oh,
2: it's i was just good can... to see you again i think uh i think we got in touch with each other was it through the mail
1: maybe back in the late eighties. We did like pen pal, like cheap trade, like, you know, like that whole, you did your, what was your, Oh, it's zines. It was all to do with zines. Wipeout? You, what's that? Wipeout. I can't remember. What, I remember you did a zine and everyone was like, Oh my God, that's a cool zine. And, or maybe you did a compilation tape too. Anyway, it's one of those things like, you know, you never knew who the people were. There was just this hype, of there's somebody who's the scene's kid who has got good taste of music, who like is interviewing these cool bands. And uh, it's kind of funny that, uh, like you know, like your name was uh, Spencer Mac had a name amongst my friends. So it was like, oh, everyone was kind of fighting who could write to pen pal or get the newest issue or hear the music from another person. So it's kind of funny when I that doesn't exist in that same way today. I don't. No, you were no, definitely no
2: slouch in Vancouver, though. You had like uh, what a fanzine tape compilation, and
1: you had a, a whole label. bunch of bands, right? Yeah, I did. A, I did a little bit of everything, and I think I I never stopped doing a little bit of everything rather than. <laughs> Had my hands in a little bit all the different pockets. I started off with a zine, though. Yeah, that was definitely my that, that was, was my start. CoH C- zine, correct? Yeah, it was CoH zine, which stood for any something different every yeah. issue. And yeah, I don't know. You just started a name and you just kind of keep with it for a while. Then it changed to Zetetic um, uh, at some point, and I just continued the numbering of like i don't know turning email or something i guess it was
0: Whatever. that's cool on i was looking at some scans you put on your facebook profile there and that was pretty cool i only had one of those but i bought from a friend back in the day so it was cool to see those up and i, st- I still have the
1: originals and stuff like that. It's funny and i'm gonna donate a bunch of stuff to the sfu archive and i even have it like i put the episode out in december but then the year changed. So then I had to change the date to make more copies. So then it's like, I changed the date to like, you know, whatever January the next year, because I was making another run.
0: Right. That's uh, very cool. Do you want to talk about that a bit, Kim?
1: Are we recording? Yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. Oh, we are awesome. uh, yeah. Oh, I, recording? Awesome. Yeah. You know, God, how, where do we start with all that? Um, you know, I, I grew up in North Delta uh, or not. I grew up a lot of places in Vancouver. So, um, uh, I grew up in East Vancouver for, for the first eight years. and Then my parents moved out to the suburbs of North Delta and then my parents split up and then I moved to, to Surrey. And then uh, I moved in with, I was living with my mom in Surrey and then I moved in with my dad into Burnaby. And that's when I graduated in Burnaby. So that's kind of my trajectory. But when I lived in North Delta and I moved to Surrey, I stayed in school in North Delta. And, you know, there was, for a period of two years, this uh, real a mass of, metal heads and punk rockers at our school uh, and and the punk rockers were it was a mixture in junior high school of different schools you know different elementary schools combined coming together and the cool kids from one of the schools um, you know were into punk Adam Adam Hughes and Ben Hughes um, they uh, they were kind of like these like badass kids that they're, I think their cousin was from California and you know sent them some tapes of like social distortion and stuff like that and um, and I hung out with the metal kids uh and so um there that was like where the witch's hammer one of the brothers of witch's hammer um marco banco was in witch's hammer dave banco uh was uh at my high school most of these guys were all one year ahead of me there was a few of us you know in my grade uh and that was the crossover year in music um absolutely for vancouver yeah and and so there was just this thing where we hated each other and then people started going hey have you checked out this pretty much because of witch's hammer they were like hey these punk bands are cool and so you know a you know, high school kids were like, what are these uh, junior high school kids were sort of like, what do you mean those punks are cool? And like, yeah let's do their music. And uh, I credit that to Dave Banco, uh, you know, uh, having a relationship with his brother and Witches Hammer. Um, and all of a sudden it was like, you know, you know, they were listening to stuff like, uh, you know, Suicide uh, 10 and SNFU uh, and uh, DRI and, uh, and, uh, and Fox COC. And, you uh, know, we shared like stuff like, you know. Um, obviously, Metallica and Slayer, and uh, you know uh, Celtic Frost and, and stuff like that, and Exodus, and that was just this weird crossover changing music, exchanging musics, uh, and going like this music's like so cool, it's just so different. And uh, also, we started partying together. Like it was, you know, everyone had these big kind of crazy parties in in Burnsview uh, in North Delta. There was this place called Burns Bog, and it's just like well, it's a bog, and there's places that you could just play. There it was over they were building overpasses for the bridges and stuff like that. people just partied under that. And it was like, oh this just sounds so fucking juvenile. But you know, it was like the, the metal kids, we did like, you know, pot, hash, and acid. And the punk kids did like benelin, glue, and gravel pills. And so there's this exchange of music and exchange of drugs. And it was like it was like, dude, you don't have to take gravel and fucking Benelin DM, man. You can just take magic mushrooms or LSD or, and these are much easier, but you know, um, but we all tried different stuff. And uh, Oh God, that was just, uh, it was so cool to be a punk rocker though. For in, in, in those two years, I just want to say that like, those are the cool kids in my junior high school. So I was really lucky. Like I was a geek and I kind of like snuck into the heavy metal world and then it was like, Whoa, like metal was really attractive to me because I think I had, oh, I had a really, Crazy childhood, just a real lots of whatever childhood trauma and abuse and all that crap. And so metal was a great outlet for me. You know what I mean? Fucking awesome. And punk though had brains. So like, you know, I liked the music. Like C O C was so smart. I I just loved that man and DRI. Uh, And then when I got my first issue of Maximum Rock and Roll that one of the punk kids had, I went, wow, there is a world of people who are talking and thinking smart. I mean, I was a smart kid. I just, Got into trouble because my life was kind of fucked, and I just kind of wanted to self-medicate and kind of check out. And you know, this aggressive music really attracted to me. Uh, you know, it was like, yeah, I like bands like Venom and 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 you know, these crazy extreme stuff. That uh, uh, God, I, I, the best thing about my childhood, to a certain degree, when I'm telling stories, is that when my parents split up, uh, my dad got me every second weekend and. So it was sort of like, what are we going to do? I'm like, can we go to Seattle? Slayer's playing, it's Rain and Blood tour. Or Celtic Frost playing, Emperor's Return tour. I really want to see them. My dad would like drive me down there and go to the bar Damn. and I'd go see the bands, nice. take like, a couple friends with me. So, you know, when I was 14, wow. I saw some pretty good concerts in Seattle that to this day, I'm like, well, yeah, fuck a uh, Slayer, I, I don't want to see Slayer. I fucking saw them at the Moore Theater. It was crazy, you know? <laughs>
0: That's insane. That's awesome, yeah. man.
1: So, thanks to my parents being broken up, a lot of liberties. Uh, being the last kid in my family and uh, being having a good, being a smart academic kid, my parents kind of just let me do whatever I wanted. Their lives were all chaotic, and and uh, as long as I got good grades, I could do anything I wanted. They they were much very preoccupied, and they can't punish me when I already knew things. I know there's that part where you realize your parents are just kids that don't know what the fuck they're doing. And, 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 I learned that at a young age. And I was just like, fuck it. I can do what I want. You guys are fucked. <laughs> I mean, right. that in a nice way, like in that teenage, you're a fucked. I mean, my, my parents did the best they could with what they had.
2: Right so on. you come from a long list of uh, bands. Now, as far as I know, you played in Strain in the early days. Yeah. Was there an that. earlier band before that? Before Strain? Like Spark rock? Marker.
1: Spark Marker was before Strain. Yeah, okay. That was a project of, of, of Strain. Before that, Spark Marker was my first band. Okay. I mean, I did a band with Corey from Sludge, uh, with uh, the drummer from Adversity, uh, Brendan, and my best friend, Michael Bates, who was in this band, Dioxin and Reignition, called the Fucking Suave Dudes. And, oh my God, I have that on a... I have a recording of our rehearsal once, and it, it's just... Uh, what, what did I... I think I... Did I sing... Yeah, I sang, I think. I think I sang in that band. But, um, okay. you know, uh, it was kind of like just all my friends were musicians, and I did zines. I did the compilation tapes. I was kind of like the back behind the scenes kind of guy. And, you know, in time, I just went. I mean, I put out records when I was in grade 10.
0: Yeah, you do know? you want to you want to talk about that, Kim? <laughs> Final notice? U-Z- I got to say, you got to bring up Uzak. We're mentioning Uzak, so. Yeah, of
1: course. You have to. Uzak, I mean, fuck, you know, like, that's what I'm saying. This music scene in North Delta was so fucking strong that the kids there, Dave Spicer, um, Mike Hammersmith, um, and uh, Drew, Drew Miller, Drew's brother was in Carrion. Um, uh, they did subversive zine. And, and and so they, I saw them do a zine. I went, I could do a zine if they could do a zine. You know what I mean? And, and they put on shows, you know, and all these local bands came to North Delta to play shows. So then I met people from outside of my, my suburb, right? I met kids, who were from Port Coquitlam and Coquitlam, hence like Michael Bates, Corey, Zach, Sean Elliott. Then I I would went downtown Vancouver all the time to hang out with those guys because we were all from different suburbs. We met at punk shows and the only place that we could congregate would be downtown. So, you know, we'd go downtown by the art gallery and hang out and share music and then get on the bus and go back home. And, you know, or I'd go to their band practice and hang out with their band practice and then go back home because I could do Again, my parents, as long as I got my good grades, I could come home late at night it didn't really matter
0: and that was exactly like you said. You meet kids from the different suburbs, like I was from Cloverdale. there's nobody there doing bands, but I met like you know every first like everybody out in Maple Ridge, ten feet tall guys, sludge guys. yeah,
1: you connect together it's like the internet, but in physical form, it's a bit slower, but you know like that it was just I always say to people. You know, back then, if I saw somebody with a band shirt that I liked, I would go up to that person on the street and say, hey, I love that band, you know? And, you know, just start talking to them because, you know, how did you get that shirt? Unless you were, again, exceptions would be like, for me, it would have been bands that were like Misfits or Dead Kennedys because they were so big. They were, you, anyone could have those shirts, like, you know, the mall punks, anyone could have those shirts. You could find those. But, you know, when someone had, you know, some obscure band, you know, a shirt and they came out to a show, you know, I mean, if they came to a show and they were wearing an obscure band, I'd be like, who are you? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, where do you come from? You obviously didn't see that band here. We would have known about that.
0: It's but- so It's so funny, hey, how that... I mean, look at that today you could you see, you know, it just doesn't happen the, the way society is. I mean, there was something special back there, right. When it was underground back in those days, like.
1: It was hard to get. So you had to dig for it. And I love, I'm going to, I love digging. I love adventure. Trying, I, the chase is just as much fun as the catch, you know? So I, I think there was a real element of like, what's this world about reading. I bought, once I discovered maximum rock and roll, I bought every issue for about six years and I'd read it front to back every month without a doubt like it was just like you know so I became like this encyclopedia of like what's going on and what's happening and stuff like that so you know I, I put a record out with you um, Zach uh, when I was um, at the end of grade 10 uh, so going um, yeah going into grade 11 god was it at the end yeah it was at the end of grade 10 and uh, and we just you know we both had some jobs uh, and and had some money my dad worked in a bread factory and got me into working there at a young age because, you know, nepotism and all the privilege that comes with that. I got to this union job making crazy amounts of money once in a while. And I just put the money said so I could, I could put some money to put a record out and Fratricide and Mission of were these two amazing bands in Vancouver that we just loved because, you know, we just thought they were fucking, I think, still think they're really good rep bands and, uh, and befriended them, you know, and the idea of like befriending musicians, like, wow. Like, you know, I, I, You know, these guys I looked up to on stage and then they were talking to you and then you're like, hey, we're thinking about putting a record. And they were like, yeah. I mean, you have to think at the time, like, you know, you're coming, everyone, you're coming from that place where you see musicians and they're on TV and you're supposed to get their autograph or something. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and not, you know, in the Slayer metal world, that still existed. I saw Slayer and I got their autograph after the backstage and, you know, um, Kerry King signed to my, my Slayer shirt and he was like, oh man, you know, that's, I forget what he said, oh, that's really bad. And I was like, oh, I thought it was cool. He's like, no, bad. It means cool. You know? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, great. And then like the next month I went and saw SNFU play a show. And I remember going up to uh, Chai Pig and saying, can you sign my shirt? And he laughed and embarrassed the fuck out of me because I was like, this kid wants my autograph. It was like the worlds of metal and punk were so different and I mean, I think he was a jerk. I mean, really, he could have been nicer, but totally made me feel like a loser. Uh, but then I realized, oh, this punk world's different. You don't idolize your bands. You, we are together in this. And, you know, I, I really took heart to that concept of community building. And, and really, punk rock saved uh, mine, a bunch of my friends, you know, uh, social world life. Like I, I, when I bring up the jokes about my life was really, Kind of chaotic when i was a kid it was and and that my parents would let me kind of do everything and like they did and so i had really absent parents and a lot of chaos to process and i self-medicated with drugs and whatnot and so to find friends eventually who were like i don't want to do. i don't do drugs I'm, have you heard of straight edge which was a different concept back then than it became um you know i was like these became my friends because i knew if i hung out with my friends I, I knew what path i was going down and my friends it was like I'm in grade, going to grade 10, going to grade 11. And, and I, my friends, they were a year older than me are in grade 11 and they're doing coke. And I was like, I know I'm gonna be an addict if I keep going down this world. Like I just, I could just see it written on the wall, how chaotic everything was. So me moving in with my dad was a really huge change. Uh, it made me separate from those friends. Now that they were bad people, just, I needed that separation to, to kind of straighten up my life. And uh, just able to focus on on music and, and zines and putting out records and and you know. So what came after?
0: Able. Sorry, what came after that, Kim? After that was that when Spark Marker kind of? How long was it after that high school that no. you guys did Spark Marker?
1: Yeah, I I didn't. Uh, I met uh, Alex who played second uh, second guitar. I think he played drums at first actually. Yeah, he played drums at first in Spark Marker, and we went to high school and I I, I introduced him like. He, I don't know. He took some classes with me, and we started chatting. And she was more like into like the Who and stuff like that, and Van Halen, and and I was like, Have you heard of this stuff? <laughs> Sounds so much like you're pushing drugs. Have you heard of this band? You should try this, man. It's really good. And, uh, you know, he just got, you know, I was like, here's Dag Nasty, man. Like, here's like these hardcore bands I was in. And I have a scene, I interviewed these bands. And he was just like, what? You know, and we probably bonded on stuff like, you know, maybe like Jane's Addiction and stuff. I mean, I was going to concerts, like, ever since I was 14. So, like, when I was in high school, I was, like, at nighttime going to concerts, and if they were at bars, I would just like try to hang out out backstage and sneak in the back door and hide under the tables until the show started. Like, I, I high school for me was nothing to do with high school. It was like college. I was just finishing it for a couple of years. I was doing my record label by that point, uh, doing my zine. Um, it, you know, I had done a radio show when I was. Started doing radio show on co-op radio when I was 14 or 15. Like, I did so much when I was 14 and 15. It was crazy. It just opened my fucking mind. Uh, co-op, there was a punk, these punk kids, uh, punk people that owned a, what ended up being Scratch Records, but it was called Continuum Records. And they were like, I was buying records all the time because I had this job. And uh, they were like, yeah, we have a radio show. You guys should come over. We have eight hours from like you know midnight till eight in the morning. Why don't you come over and you know do an hour on our show? And it was called Emergency Broadcast. And uh, we did, and I think they might've gotten in trouble for having us on there because like, I don't know, we, we got stoned and stuff like that and we're probably chatting too much. And next thing you know, they got, we only did like a couple like shows a couple weeks uh, and then we got kicked off. They got kicked off for whatever, breaking whatever rules. And I'm sure having minors in there wasn't smart, but you know, Fractricide played live shows. Uh, they were co-op radio had bands perform live and then hang out with the bands. I was skateboarding with like Eric from Fractor's Side. I mean, it was hilarious. I was like this you know, teenage kid, you know, like hanging out, seeing my friends, these these bands, band practices and stuff like that. I was just a keener. So by the time I got to high school, um, that was finishing up. Um, I, I put out records for uh, Onion House, which was a band after Mission to Christ. And then I put a record up for the band Fly Camp. Um, and then I put out a record for my friend's band. They went to this band called Paleface. They were kind of like. Remember when metal funk kind of came cool? Oh yeah. And, yeah. And so they were doing <laughs> that thing, and that. And then what I re- and, and that had the guitar player from Beyond Possession in it. And I was like. This is gonna fucking sell, you know? And <laughs> even the first record that we sold, you know, not selling like I'm gonna make lots of money, but like this is gonna be easy, right? Because Fratricide and Mission of Christ, Mission of Christ is supposed to get signed to Metal Blade and Fratricide are supposed to be on Pussmort Records. I was like, these are fucking amazing bands. Like this is gonna be, and both bands never fell through with those, with those, with that, their stories never fell through with those record labels. And so I was always sitting on all these fucking records, man, and like it's just boxes in my basement. And when I put the Paleface record, I was like, oh, this will be, you know, they were like, uh, I remember, you know, they was like, we need a record, not just a seven inch. We need a 12 inch. or So I'll put out an EP for that. I, when I was a kid, I was in a car accident, a really bad car accident. And I got some money. My parents put it away. And, you know, boom, when I graduated, turned 18, I had $5,000. So I was like, $5,000. I'm going to put out my record. This is going to be the record. I'm going to put out Paleface, which really wasn't enough money to put out the record but anyway put it out and then like they didn't tour and then james quit the band they got a new guitar player and then they broke up and i was like sitting on fucking like you know 600 (laughs) records and cassettes like it was incredible and i just was like why am i putting records for other people's bands mission at christ never toured and broke up fratricide never toured and broke up onion house never toured and broke up flight camp toured and i sold all the flight camp records It was not a problem that stuff sold and they were touring and i was like bands need to tour for me to sell records so once i learned that i was like i ain't putting a band up for any band unless they tour and no bands in vancouver were really touring they were all like kind of waiting for something big to happen to take them to the next level and then they would do something and i was like eh. and then in the process of doing all these records it was a small world um, the Chicara brothers in Kamloops, or the um, Holloway-Chuck brothers, sorry, Chicara's band, Sean Chikara, Holloway-Chuck brothers, Sean and Kim Holly chuck but more mainly Sean, um, their parent, their dad had a printing press and so they printed all everyone's records. So that's how I started. They printed our first you know, Mission of Christ Fratricide record. And um, I became you know, buddies with Sean and Sean, to so desperate minds brought bands to Kamloops. Population at that time was probably like 50,000. And they toured north, uh, north america or at least the, maybe the west coast they toured and i was like you guys toured more hung out with him i was like you got how did you do this and i was just always asking people how did you put shows on where did you put shows on how did you tour finding all this information out and i was just like holy shit, man you can just go out and get an abandoned tour and he was like yeah i'll help you if you ever need that help and so i had all these resources and i was like There's no bands that sound like what I want. So why don't I start my own band? And I know how to do everything else with a band. And so I didn't know how to play guitar, really. I tried to play bass and lethal virus when I was a young teenager. I had a bass, but um, I didn't know how to play bass. I didn't take lessons, nothing. Right. I mean, Dave, uh, Dan from Fratricide actually taught me a lot after I screwed up trying to play with lethal virus because I didn't know anything.
2: So you're pretty much self-taught as far as guitar goes, right?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I have no, I can't play anyone else's songs. Yeah. Not at all. Dan taught me triplets. And that was pretty much like my, and I was like, all right, I can play metal. Um, <laughs> so, you know um, so Spartmarker kind of came out of the ashes of uh, all these uh, failed projects of doing stuff and me saying, why don't I just start a band and write the music myself and I'll learn guitar and learn how to play what I want to, what I want to play. And that's how Spartan markers started really and 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 I worked at Sam the Record Man, graduated, worked at Sam the Record Man, Ryan uh, started working at Sam the Record Man and oddly enough he, he just moved from Cranbrook to, to Burnaby down, I'm not even joking, six houses away from me. So when he started working at Sam the Record Man and he said I said oh what kind of music do you like? And he was like oh you know I like bands like you know The Clash and uh, uh, bad Religion and uh, Fugazi. And I was like, you like Fugazi? I was like, oh, my God, you're my new best friend. It's like, no one here knows that band. That's so fucking cool. And I was like, awesome, man. So, like, where do you live? And he's like, oh, like, you know, I live out in the I live in Burnaby. I'm like, kind of new west. I'm like, so do I. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and he's like, yeah, uh, I go, whereabouts? And he's like, um, well, um, uh, 18th and 1st. I'm like, fuck you. I live on the corner of 18th and 1st. Who's who, You're pulling my leg now. And he's like, no, that's that's where I live. And I was like, I'm catching the bus with you, home, man. You fucking pull my leg, you live at 18th and first. I live on the corner of 18th and first. Sure yeah. enough, man. He lived six thousands away at 18th and first. And so that started that friendship. I wanted to start a band with Alex. He um, was gonna play drums at first and he said, Oh no, I wanna play guitar. Rob was working at Sound the Record Man and he was into metal. And you know, we obviously bonded on stuff like Slayer and stuff like that brought him in and Darren, ah, how did I know Darren? I don't know. I just know Darren, you know, through the scene, you know, sh- going to shows and whatnot, kind of a small group of friends. And uh, he said, you know, he knew he played, he played bass and you know, Spark Marker started in my parents' basement. And that was it, you know?
0: And you guys got, uh, I remember you guys getting, it seems like, like we were talking about the other day on the, um, on Facebook there, like your, your, one of your first shows, you guys picked up steam right away. It was like, boom. All of a sudden, you guys were this force um, playing everywhere. And I don't know, but I mean, that's we all did. I saw it.
1: Yeah. I mean, we played a lot because I knew a lot. Of, I knew all the people. So, you know, it was sort of like, you know, um, how can I say this? Uh, we, we had stickers before we had a demo tape. You know what I mean? Like we had marketing. So we were like, who's this band? They got stickers. You know what I mean? And we've handed them out. So it was like, I knew how to market, you know, um, and, and had my, I was already doing zines and had design skills. So um, I feel like the hype of the band was bigger than the reality of the band. People like, oh, they're not that good. Jody Taylor loved us right from the beginning. So, you know, I give him a lot of credit as being the first number one spark marker fan. He came to all our shows. He was so excited for us. We did a Dagnasty cover and I think a Jane's Addiction cover. Horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible. Um, that was in, and that was in Maple Ridge. Uh, and that really came out because there was a show. I don't know if you remember... Um, under the volcano before there was under the volcano oh Irwin did shows in north vancouver um in lonsdale at this art space he was always doing creative stuff and 10 feet tall played there and we're like what's this place and we went and there was bands playing and up we were like as a band we're as good as these guys we should play a show now so we played a show and that was the pit meadow show and um uh, and then you know really we sucked um and then we put a record we recorded some music didn't know anyone to record it Sounded good like you know they I know people want to record country music we're recording it they just didn't get our sound I mean I love some of the Vancouver bands but no one knew heavy music and we did a little tour down to California and uh because I knew how to book shows and so I was like let's go to California and um you're not when you're playing with your friends everyone says you're amazing you guys are great and you know everyone because they're your friends and then when you go on tour and people are like i don't know who the fuck you are but you guys suck and you have to go like shit man we gotta up our game like this is this is we're not this isn't good like we've got to really we got to impress like we're just impressing our friends that was that was just Picking up an instrument was impressing your friends. You're like, we're in a band. No, like going on tour, you realize, no, no, you've got to up your game. And that changed everything. All of a sudden, we weren't playing for our friends. We were playing for strangers. And I felt like all of us, sorry, Rob, Ryan, and myself, I felt all were like, fuck, we got to up our game. And Darren and uh, Alex learned that they really hated each other and they were quitting the band. (laughs) So that's when we got Jason as a new guitar player, a new bass player in the band. And Jason, we had no idea how experienced he was. I mean, he was like one of those like, he played in heavy metal cover bands, but um, like, you know, like with a big hair and everything. Like, oh my God, if you see old photos of Jason, you could so fucking like blackmail him, hilarious. But he's an, he's an amazing guitar player, but he didn't want to play that kind of music. And so he was like, I'll play, he, he'll play bass. And so, I mean, that guy was like way, way better musician than I is. But you know, when he joined the band, Uh, And then I said, you know what? Like, Don Fury, like, records every band I like in New York and advertises the maximum rock and roll. Let's go to New York and record. And they were like, really? I'm like, I can do it, man. I'll I'll book it, you know? But uh, I had, I mean, sorry, I had a bit of an ego. I was like, if you let me (laughs) organize things and make things happen and we just play all ages shows, I will make, I'll do everything. And there was, I, I kind of bullied that one a lot. That if you just let me try, if I don't want to play bar shows. If we can't make it work playing all ages shows, then we can play bar shows. But until you remember,
0: then, sorry Kim, do you remember getting shit for that? I remember some people being like, "Oh fucking spark marker, Kim, all ages, blah blah blah." Do you remember? And sorry, we'll back up again to that Jess, Qu- the Jess Quest co-op. We gotta, yeah, we are gotta.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how do you make a timeline when there was so many, there's a storyline of this thing, there's a storyline of that that project. It all happened at the same time. So you have to remember while I'm in Spark Marker, I still have a record label. I write for Discord or Magazine uh, and I'm helping organize shows. The Just Quest Co-op. Just Quest Co-op was, there wasn't any, many all ages shows. And when I grew up in Vancouver, most of my friends, you know, of course we went to all ages shows and they were for some reason, always older than me. So all my friends being years older than me, when they turned, you know, whatever is, what is it, 19, whatever your drinking age? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, all of a sudden, they stopped caring about all ages shows because they could see all the bands they wanted. I had fake ID. I sneaked into concerts. Like most me of the too. cool concerts I saw, I was, yeah, totally, right? Like, yeah. how else are you going to see these bands? <laughs> you know, you don't you don't go to the Cumber Ballroom in high school unless you have fake ID. So but I, w- I, I just I couldn't let that go. I was like, just because when I get old, when I get old, I'm not going to be like them. And I really took it to heart. I was like, music should be for all people of all ages. And I really just thought that was stupid that once you get old enough, you don't care about the kids anymore because you got your privilege of seeing the bands and you can brag about who you saw. And I was like, eh. And then I remember one of the guys in the Cruel uh, what was his name? the guy who did the cruel fan i can't remember paul uh, yeah i think you're right paul he um you know he uh he was like are you guys gonna play you know the cruel fan i was like no we only play all ages shows if you have any all ages matinees we'll play and he's like well it's kind of a hypocrite that like you know you come to these bar shows but you only play all ages shows and i was like point well taken and then i was like not going to go to any more bar shows. And I stopped going to bar shows.
0: Oh, wow. I I didn't know you stopped uh, going to bar. Wow. I I was like,
1: I'm only going to see bands playing all your shows. I'm going to put all my energy into all the shows. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, yeah. I see your point. You know, you know, a lot of times if someone kind of presented me with something like that, I was like, good point. Point we'll take it. So, like, I remember the Hari Krishnas. I was like, oh, Hari Krishnas, free food. They have bands play once in a while there. I love their free food. It's vegetarian. How cool. And then they said, you know, you're going to this place all the time getting free free food, you know. Maybe it's about time you start giving back. And I was like, good point. I'm going to stop coming. So... <laughs> Because <laughs> I didn't want to be Hare Krishna, but I liked their food. And I was like, that's being a jerk. I'm taking their free food, but I'm not contributing to the community. Why am I doing this? That's kind of lame. I don't want to be that person. So.
0: And when, uh, was the no Hare Krishna scene was started. Sorry, Spence, in Vancouver. Just to, to credit credit him for that.
1: No, no. I, <laughs> I, you just, credit <laughs> Undertow for that. Undertow played the Krishna <laughs> place.
0: Yeah.
2: So, so tying this with Undertow, when was that big tour across North America?
1: I'm going to say 93. I don't know. Good question. Uh, I know. I'd say. Cause you guys played like 90, 91, 92. I think we toured 92 on our own. Yeah. And then 93, I think we toured. That's the
0: full North American summer tour, right?
1: Yeah. We, rec- we did our first North American tour on our own. And that's when we recorded the, what was called the plug seven inch. And then the next tour, we came back from that. And then that's when strange started. And so, you know, the, all this stuff meshes up together, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but so the next tour, um, you know, Strain already existed. And I remember uh, uh, Ron from um, Overkill Records uh, wanting to put st- Strain 7-inch out, and um, our demo, I should say, as a 7-inch. And uh, we did a little, t- Strain did a little tour with Undertow, down the coast, and then it was like, "Oh yeah, you guys should, you know, do a North American tour." Strain and Undertone. I was like, "No, like <laughs> spark markers is my band. Strain is just a side project for me. I did not." Uh, we can talk about st- anyway. Be really quickly with that one. I'll go back to. We can talk about Strain separately. So, well, that happened. Um, I was like, no, Spartan Marker is the band. And so I was, oh, okay. So Spartan Marker and, and Undertotal tour. And I don't think Strain would have ever toured. Like, I can't tell you how hard it was for us, that band to do things sometimes. Spartan Marker, we've already toured once. I knew we could tour. And uh, we wanted to go back to Don Furious to record again. And that's when we finished, we did another nine songs, I think with Don Fury, which I think that's what it was. And then we put the Plug 7-inch together and then I came up with the idea on tour to sell, to put it out as three different records and one CD so that we could yeah. be North America, West. have one label on the West Coast, me and one label on the East Coast to try to get spreader. We, we just couldn't get distribution. No one was really interested in our band. We were from Canada. We sounded like we were from New York. People just didn't know what to do with us. It was a really weird, weird thing. And Strain really started off as a project because there was no... Like, people would be like, oh, Sparkmark, are you? we haven't heard anything that sounds like that. And i will be like, yeah, there's bands in New York that sound like this. It's just that no one here has heard that, you know? And so with Strain, we're like, God, people have no idea about straight edge. It's like, we should create a straight edge band. And it was to create a straight edge band. Like, in my perspective, and Jinx, I think, too. Where, like, Jinx, Jinx wasn't was a, straight edge. Yeah, exactly. He was straight edge. You were just like, yeah, Vancouver should have a straight edge band. We're like, totally. Shouldn't we? Like, I mean, I've known Jinx since I was 14, right? Like he was a part of that scene of, of people in in North, North Delta. Delta. Yeah. Yeah. And so like Jinx and Gary and I go really far back. Um,
0: you still see those guys? Oh, Kim's frozen.
1: Oh, i we'll
0: have to put uh, everything. Uh, we up. all remember them
1: being young. What's that?
0: Oh, sorry, you were frozen for a sec there. Oh, okay. I just want to go a little bit back about the North Delta, Jinx and Gary. Oh, and, I say. So like, I,
1: I go really far back with Jinx and Gary and and and, and Eric, um, obviously Eric with the fratricide, but you know, Jinx and Gary started a band then. Head first and Head Start. We changed the names. Yeah. I would go to all the practices. I have some awesome fucking video footage because I went to Emily Carr after I graduated for like a class and did video and I, I and I was going to do like this, these documentaries. I still have to do something with them. So I have all this footage of them having their band practices, which is really awesome. Wow. Um, but so we we hung out all the time and skateboarded. You know, like that was you know what we did. And um, I mean, we all lived in different places. But uh, you know, again, some punk rock brings you together, and it was like, yeah, we should start a straight edge band. And James was like, I'll play drums. I'm like, yeah, you're not straight edge. I don't care. You should be a straight edge band, and Vancouver should have one. And you know, because uh, like Gary was straight edge, and you know, he he was friend. Anyway, you know, we it, it, we just. I had lots of friends who weren't straight edge. The whole idea of being straight edge wasn't that everyone thought like me and looked like me. That to me was anti-punk. It was like, to me, you all are your own universe. And some people are punk, some people are straight edge, some people are not. Some people are metalheads, some people are punk, some people are crusty punk. It didn't really matter to me. It was like, you're yeah. just like, we're a, a community of misfits. I really don't give a fuck you know, what everyone else needs to do. Uh, so the whole idea of straight edge, to me, I saw it as a joke. Like, Vancouver should have a straight edge band. And the whole concept of a straight edge band didn't make sense to me. To me, it was always like, a member of this band is straight edge. Like a member of the Necros is straight edge. Members of some, some members of my thread were straight edge. Some members of these bands are straight edge. Not the whole idea. So when I heard about straight edge bands in New York, I was like, what? People <laughs> were like the straight edge sound and the straight edge look. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, how do you have a look to an ideology? That just did not make sense to me. <laughs> um so i thought it was kind of funny honestly like i have a lot of those old records but i just thought it was funny i was like why does everyone look the same and dress the same and sneakers and i just didn't get it um and so doing strain for me was kind of like let's do something that's just going to create shockwaves and you know because you know vancouver is just very popular for i don't know not giving a shit bands like you know like joke Mm -hmm. bands like let's offend people like the Diggle Abortions love the Diggle Abortions musically lyrically just the fucking stupidest things in the world Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the first record's fucking amazing but after that it's just like stupid stuff and it's like no one's got any like real what do you call it gumption to say anything and so I really felt like that was going to create like you know like sort of a line to for people just to kind of like get idea of different ways of thinking and just kind of push, put, push the envelope. That's what it was just pushing the envelope. So for me, strain was supposed to be like a fun project to push the envelope, put it out there. There was a band called laughing stock from Victoria and they had yeah. some seven inches says like, you know, I heart meat or something like that. It was like, Oh, isn't that cool. And so I remember the first strain uh, sticker we made was something like, you know, meat is murder. I don't know, something, something. It's no laughing matter. We put laughing as L A F F I N G. And people were like, <gasps> you know, I heard there's this like, like, you know, like the rumor mill that there's this hard like a hardline strategy existed. Hardline strainage band in Vancouver. It's really mad at laughing stock. And who is are just laughing by is like, Isn't that got funny? It. Like it's totally getting eaten up. I thought it was just funny. But as time went on, you know, that band got really, you know, you know, was
0: yeah, really huge. you know
1: started building up quickly and they had some demands of what they wanted to do with the band. And I was like, spark marker is my number one project, man. And if this is what you guys need to do, then you need to find somebody else. Cause like this is my project. And um nah, it wasn't just that. It was also that they kind of saw that Spark marker was my band and that straight strain was their band. And I was like, I don't want to play a second guitar just because these are your songs. They didn't like they didn't want—I don't know—they didn't want me bringing in my songs into the into the band because yeah. I already had my band. So this should be their songs. And I was like, "Well, then this is boring." So the only song really that Strain has that's my song is Cataract, and I think it's by the song that sounds the most Spark markerish So you know, it's, it's also not,
0: probably the most popular song too. It's what sorry, probably probably most their most popular song too. My it's my favorite. I didn't know you wrote it. So there you Thank go. Thank you. You're yeah, I, I, you know, it's You're funny. Welcome.
1: It's in the punk rock world. You don't get. Well, it, it, anyway, I don't have writing credits or anything like that ever on any of those records. But yes, I wrote that that song, that lyric. Even the this is I'm not joking. I remember going, all right, this is how it starts, and 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 the way it starts is like one, two, three, four. So like, say something like, "This is our war," Da-dum, and it all starts like that. And Jody made that into a song off of those three, those four words. So. <laughs> i i i think i take credit for writing the main riffs and the lyrics of the first, first first four words of that song
0: wow it was definitely cool kim so many years have passed a lot of people don't even realize that you were in the you know the early incarnation of that band and
1: well we i left the band and the recording wasn't that great and so then they said and then and then and, and ron just said why don't you re-record it so they re-recorded the whole yeah. demo and then they actually didn't like anyone to have the demo. Game. I remember trying to put it up on the, I have the songs I remember putting up on my website and Jody was, Oh, I don't like those songs being available. Those aren't really good strings. <laughs> I'm like, it records a fucking, I have no ego about this is, I can show you some have some bad spark marker demos, man. They're just funny. Like that's how I became a musician. Like did some stupid, embarrassing things. That's life. You know, I'm not, I'm not the sum of, I am the sum of my parts. I'm not just the best or the worst I am in my life. I'm the whole journey. So, you know, I I, I gotta laugh at yourself.
2: For sure, so tell us for about sure. the other projects there, uh, apart from Spark Marker. You were in two other bands, right? That we know of anyways. So yeah. I
1: did Strain, I did Spark Marker, and then after Spark Marker ended, um, then I did a band called Samsara 7, which oh, that's
0: right. That's right.
1: was um which is funny because there ended up being a band called Dead Sure Later, which is pretty much Samsara Seven. With Ryan, <laughs> with Ryan singing as opposed, it, 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 where I play guitar and sing, so it's kind of, that was a funny band, um, and they really sounded like Spark Marker, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't some Star Seven didn't I think sound like sound like Spark Marker Light maybe, um, yeah. And and then after some Star Seven, then I did the Skin Jobs uh, for well, I don't know what, three or four years, and then when I moved to L.A., uh, that's when I met up with uh, Mark Holcomb and Larry from. Mark Hall come from Undertow and, and, yeah. and, and, and Um Shift, uh, he was in those bands and, and Larry, who was in Pelican. And then we started San Angeles and then uh, brought Jason from Smart Marker back into that project
0: so has that been done just tell us a little bit about what you guys how long you were around what you've yeah been around?
1: i mean that was 2009 that we started and then we put record in 2000 i moved out away from la and then we got back together in seattle record in 2010 and then i think we've recorded in 2013 a seven inch as well and you know in theory we could bring that it's, it's it's like it's it's not we've never played live you know it's it's a it's a hanging out you know oh my god it was it was was just like oh this is midlife crisis where you're an old hardcore kid and you know you still want to do music but you want to hang out with your buddies who can speak the same language that understand the music that you played with so i don't want to be in a band just to be in a band i want to be in a band with people who can understand the music i like which it's pretty obscure you know what i mean like when you're talking about hardcore punk from the 80s and 90s it's and it's, it's not the same as like saying you like a mainstream, like you like Green Day. And I mean, that's, For sure. that's easy, right? you know There's such a nuance to be able to say, oh no, but I like, you know, I like manic compression. No, no, no. I like slip as the best quicksand record. Like, you know, you have these stupid conversations, that, you know, are really geeky. Really, no one in the world cares. Rocket from the Crypt or Drive like Jehu. You know what I mean? like <laughs> Seaweeds. You know, it's not a common or seaweed. Oh, yeah. bring up seaweed totally. in that conversation. Okay. Rocket from the Crypt, Bradley uh, J. or change, seaweed? seaweed. I'll pick seaweed myself. This is interesting. Uh, yeah. And what brings what brings seaweed into the conversation for you? Now you've got me going because I think I just, John Reese. I remember
0: the, the Town Pump All Ages Show.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah, why,
0: yeah. I mean that's the, that's how I connect you to you you know Spark Marker you and seaweed together for sure absolutely.
1: The first time Rocket from the Crypt played Vancouver, uh, a very un under uh attended a concert um, I, we put the show on with the just quest co-op and it was seaweed and rocket from the crypt and it was so under uh, uh under attended and so many people later on like oh my god i saw this new band rocket or, or the crypt. they played their first show and blah 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 i was like no you did not see their first show i i organized that show and you did not come <laughs> eric thorkelson was one of those people he's like what do you mean i was like they played the just quest co-op they did not i'm like yes they did what I'm like, mm-hmm. you didn't come. <laughs> right on. So I was a big fan. I was a big fan of Pitchfork. Like I loved Pitchfork, and so you know, anything John Reese did, I would follow. And Seaweed, they were friends of mine because they were from Olympia, Seattle, and I would go to Fugazi shows down there, and and they were friends with my friends, and I I introduced Aaron to. No, I didn't introduce. I forced Aaron from Seaweed to meet his future wife because he was talking about her, how much he wanted to meet this girl. I was like, I'm going down that hallway and I'm gonna knock on her door and I'm gonna tell her that there's this guy who's really cool that wants to meet you. So if you don't fucking do it yourself, I'm gonna do it for you. And then he would still credit me afterwards. like, you're gonna introduce me to my girlfriend. And it was like, right on. It's his wife now, so good for that. So How long were you
2: living in LA by the way? Until you came back? Did Just come two out of years, yeah. 2007 to
1: 2009. Yeah. It was yeah. If I'd done it earlier in my life, maybe I would have done it, stayed longer. But the climate was weird there too. I mean, I yeah, know. I worked for Network Records, which is you know working in the music industry, and um, and I'd been there for a long time. And, and there was they it was there, there was an available. I could see myself working. I I could work in LA if I wanted to. I just had to push and sell it, and because they were hiring other people down there, and I was like, why are you hiring someone down there? I had to move there. And so I didn't like LA, by the way. But it was like my least favorite city. So the, the irony was not lost on me that I moved to my least favorite city in, in the states. But whatever, the option was there, and I took it. I had a good time, but yeah, not really. Like, I like Canada.
2: Right on. You been, you've done a bit of traveling, haven't you? Like you kind of did a lot of culture thing and all that.
1: Um, I like travel. Yeah, I do. I, I do. I mean, I like adventures. I definitely like going places I haven't been. Um, I don't like traveling as a tourist, even though I've done that quote unquote, like the whole, like staying at a resort type of thing does not attract me. I think the first time I did that, I went to Mexico and stayed at this all inclusive resort, which, you know, totally did not make sense. Cause at the time I didn't drink at all. So I was like, all you can drink. I mean, it wasted the money on me. Like oh,
0: I've ready. done that to you.
1: <laughs> it's like, come on, do you have perfect a
0: perfect sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just like, what the hell? Um, and, you know, uh, I, I like to connect, you know, when you tour with a band, like touring the Market, toured a lot. We played North America, like toured North America, I think five times and did the West Coast as coastal tours down to California, you know, a handful of times and did Europe. And you go to a city and you have, you know, a day, if, if you're lucky, you might have a day off, but you know, you have a day and you're instantly playing the show, you know what you're doing and there's a crowd of people and you meet them. And, and then, You know, you meet people who show you around the town and you get to see things really quickly. And it was such an amazing way to interact and see the city from the inside um, that to go on a Mexican vacation, I was like, this is boring, like I hated it. Like, I just didn't like the idea of being a consumer. Um, so after that, you know, I really opened my mind of, like, different ways of traveling. You know, if I had a friend who was somewhere, I'd be like, oh, I know a friend of a friend lives in Hawaii. I'm going to, my friend's going to be in Hawaii. I'm going to go visit this other friend who's on another island in Hawaii and, and just see what opens up. And I love those adventures. And when I went to New Zealand, it was, you know, a similar thing where, you know, I knew some people had worked on this this I don't know if you know what woofing is but it's a, like worldwide mm-hmm. organization of organic farming or something mm-hmm. wwoof and uh one of my ex-boyfriends they had woofers on their parents on his parents farm and so i was like woofing that's cool and then i found out more about woofing and then i heard there was a, a, a uh, when i was looking for a campsite in california when i lived down there um uh, on my drive back up i learned about Camp, gay, gay campsite uh, called Autumn Farm that was in Golden Bay. And I was like, where's Golden Bay? And I was like, oh, it's New Zealand. And then right after that, I found out some friends, uh, two people I know said, oh, I know someone who went to that. And that was great because it was like, I got to work on a farm, uh, an organic farm for like, you know, a month uh, and meet lots of traveling people. And it was gay friendly. Obviously, it was a gay traveling place. It was It was just such a Great way to travel. I didn't see all of New Zealand, but I really got involved in a community. uh, And I I guess I really like community. That's it. I just, I've always been really drawn to community initiatives as opposed to consumer initiatives.
0: For sure. Um, Did you want to touch on coming out? You were the first musician, kind of someone I knew, you know, from the scene to do that. And I really respected that. Just wondering what the reaction from your friends and family and everyone was.
1: Um, punk rock was always sort of like my logical family. As I said, I had a bit of a dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. So punk rock was always my like kind of go-to as far as, you know, um, this is my community, you know? Sure. And so the longer I became, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take long to be old school punk rock, um, once I became fucking old school and I was putting on shows and people were like, "Oh, Kim's been, you know, been in the scene for a long time." That's when we started doing stuff like the Jess Quest Co-op and you know doing LG shows that were non-racist, non-sexist, and non-homophobic. I really knew that you know people should be able to be who they are. And I, I, I was probably you know questioning, had doubts about what my sexuality was. Um, and, you know, by the time I, I, I came out in the music scene of Vancouver, you know, it was like. I already had a lot of queer, met a bunch of queer folks and politically understood that that was like, you going to kick me out of the hardcore scene? Like I've already been in it for 10 years. Like, uh, you know, uh, don't think you can, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, like this is punk rock. You're supposed to allow people to be who they are. So I get to be who I am. And this is, you know, what I realized. And so I think it was like really, I mean, I lived in East Vancouver, so I always you like I was raised by lesbians. Like there was just always a lot, it was a big lesbian community in East Vancouver at the time, probably still is. And so, you know, I, I knew a lot of, 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 of lesbians, but I didn't really know any gay guys. And I kind of naively thought that, you know, if I come out of the closet, other people will come out of the closet too. And I'll have all these friends <laughs> um, who are gay and, um, you know, yeah, that didn't happen, you know what I mean? Like, you know, punk rock show isn't a place where people want to come up. They might in time, you know, be inspired by the fact that I came out and in time be able to like, you know, come up. But people were not just coming to show. hey, I'm gay too. You know what I mean? And, and that's when I really realized that there was a split in my world of the punk rock community has all these ideologies of being this amazing place and it wants to be, but has trouble accepting that it isn't. A safe place for a lot of people, whether that be on the on the um, the lines of gender or race or sexuality, it really isn't what the idealized version of it is. I think it, it, I tried to be that in the beginning, but I don't think it really understands what a safe space is. So I think people, like-minded people, they have two worlds. It's like here's this world where I get, you know, this community's um, support and nurturing from, and then there's this community that provides the nurturing for that. You did, see people, did people also. accept me? Sure. Did people nurture me? No, 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 no that, that didn't happen. So, you know, I end up having this gay world <laughs> and this punk rock world life the you know, kind of bridge, I guess.
0: Yeah. I don't remember there ever being any negative connotation to it or people talking shit or anything like that myself. I mean, things were definitely different back then. I mean, if you look to it now, the difference between how many, you know, decades ago that was now, I mean, you know, you can say that the shows are safe, way more safe than than they were, as for, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a funny thing. I I, I don't think safer. I don't think there's such you know things that there might be a safer place, but you know it's it's still a very heteronormative, white males. So oh, for sure, hardcore has always been that, and 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 is trapped by struggling with seeing that can it be something more than that? And it can have exceptions, but I mean I don't know. I mean Spencer, how do you feel like that? Uh, you know, obviously I'm talking about white men, and and you're not white. So how did you see that? For yourself
2: well so it was pretty obvious you know just looking around the crowds going through the shows all my life you know i didn't feel any racism or didn't feel weird or anything like that i felt accepted right because we're all outsiders at the end of the day mm-hmm. we all we all accepted each other so for me it wasn't strange or anything it was just another family more accepting family yeah uh, never had any racial slurs or any skinheads beat me up anything like that i was lucky perhaps
1: did you guys have skinheads in Toronto? Like, there was a big oh, yeah. skinhead thing. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. We had skinheads. Yeah. Okay. You guys had skinheads too, right? Yeah. There was
1: There, Yeah. Like, you had to, yeah, like, yeah. like kind of try to, like, scare them away from coming to shows and, like, try to, be a, like, I remember people, like, ganging up on one of the bad skinheads to be, like, kind of like, don't come here anymore. Like, because everyone was, like, they're just fucking ruining it type of thing, like it, that. I,
2: the crowds were pretty diverse, though, right? In Vancouver, as far as, like, people of color and, would you say so? I don't
0: know. I would maybe maybe like a eighty percent white, twenty percent. Probably more than that, wouldn't you say, Kim? When I look back in those early '90s days,
1: I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I would I would say it's somewhere around there. You know what I mean? Like, it's I I think there are folks who are uh, of color, but I I still think majority. You know that that's a question I don't think I can answer because I don't see. I think there comes that point where you're like, you're looking to see yourself in this and it's reflected in your community. And that's very powerful. And being a white guy, Oh my God, I closed my chat room. Um, I, um, I, 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 you know, I realized that, you know, being seen is for those who do not see themselves represented. And so I saw myself represented as a white guy. I saw my, myself you know, represented as a man, as a guy. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't see myself represented as gay. So that's where, you know, I worked to try to, you know, create increase safe spaces for that, create safe spaces for that. Yeah, I had my end racism shirt and all that stuff like that. Did that end racism? You know, I was just trying to create a safer space, but it doesn't mean necessarily that I knew the cultural uh, significance of what comfortable felt like for people to come to a hardcore show. I like to believe it was full of the misfits and the weirdos. And to some degree, I think punk rock's roots are in that. But I think there is a suburban edge of that that just comes to that collegiate rock side of things where it really is just, you know. What's punk anymore? I hate to say this, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, you know, there's, there's just, it's a word to describe something. For some people, it's a sound. For some people, it's a lifestyle and
0: well kim well we we can talk so sorry
2: Uh i can
1: talk forever
0: kim
2: is punk dead that's the big question
1: (laughs) the question has been going on since i got into it right punk's not dead you know that's the whole point of there's a song written about it and people are going to argue about whether or not it is or isn't And, and 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 you know i i think there's a i i really liked i really like to think of things not just music, by the way, I'm just talking about things that there's a difference between my, someone's actions, my actions, and my identity. And um, they sometimes are in conflict with each other, and, or don't present themselves like you would think. And so uh, a good example, I always like food analogies, is that, you know, someone might identify as a vegetarian, and we go, oh, they're a vegetarian. But we're not like watching everything that they eat. And they might be sneaking some bacon in their sandwich on the weekends when no one's around because they actually really like bacon. And oh my God, they're no longer vegetarian or are we gonna place them on that? Probably not. And I think that's the same thing with any kind of label that we put upon ourselves like, oh, you know, I'm punk rock. What does punk rock mean? This is what it looks like. This is my, how I identify, but is it all that I listen to? You know, uh, straight edge. What does straight edge mean? Is this, you know, I remember having a conversation with when <laughs> we were on tour with Jamie at my toe, And he was like, if you're so frustrated with these straight edge kids, a straight edge all the time, why do you still call yourself straight edge? And I was like, because if, at the time, I, I don't consider myself straight edge anymore. Um, at the time I was like, I, I, I'm not like just gonna give it up just because a bunch of kids want it to look like this and sound like this. That's not the straight edge I grew up with. So I'm not just going to like let them take it. I'm going to argue with them that that's not what straight edge is. And straight edge doesn't mean that everyone in my band is straight edge. It doesn't mean that everyone's vegetarian in my band. I don't need everyone to be like me, to be my friend. You know, I used to say, you know, I have, I I know a lot of smart people who smoke pot, you know what I mean? And uh, a lot of good people who smoke pot. And I know a lot of assholes who are straight edge. So, you know what I mean? You know, uh, I'm not going to judge people by, a label I like a lot of punk rock people though you know like kind of says to me that
2: you know what there's good and bad everywhere whether it's punk or not
1: if you like punk you kind of can like anything else that's softer than punk it's kind of like yeah. a death metal and punk maybe I think maybe death metal is even more extreme you know <laughs> but you try to get someone who likes folk music and classical and then play them a death metal song they're probably just gonna go ah! you know what I mean but, you know, I, so I think there's an advantage to liking the extremes. It's like anything the metal works after that.
0: There's a lot of people, though. Like, I, I've worked at the Rickshaw Theater for, like, six years now. And yeah. um, trust me, there's still metalheads even. I mean, I'm 47. There's still metalheads 10 years older than me that are just, want brutal death metal. Yeah. There's still that. Like, you know, these, we, you know, luckily, um, to speak for most of us and my friends, I'm sure you guys, you know, you get, you, you know, I don't know, you grow up and you get back into the music you got got into when you were young. I mean, it works for me anyways, way open-minded. I mean, there was a point when all I wanted when I got into hardcore and straight edge, all I wanted to hear was, you know, the hardest straight edge bands. But we, we grow up, right, and get uh, more well-rounded. We're hopefully, fluid. Hopefully, yeah.
1: We're fluid. We're, life changes. Things move, evolve. And, you know, for some people, though, that's scary. You know, like um, some people have a real... Um, they really built their identity, built themselves around an identity. So if you question their identity, they feel like you're attacking them because they built them, their life on that foundation. So people who mm-hmm. have a real dogmatic belief in, let's say a religion, you know, when you're having a conversation debating religion, they don't have a conversation being religion. They feel like you're attacking them totally. because that's where they built themselves on. And you know, um, that's, you know, a, a place to try to, I, I try to remind myself of to have compassion for people, even though they don't have compassion for me. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's a, it's a you know, really interesting place yeah. to be sometimes. It's like, there's some assholes out there and I, I, they have the right to be their voice, but I also have a right to speak up to them and say, I don't agree with you. I don't want you in the space. Or here's a yeah. show we're playing, here's six bucks, leave. I don't want you here take your six bucks back you know i don't care but you know you know i'm kind of used to being a bit of an asshole i i don't know like punk rock got me to a point of being like hey you know what you can put on your own show that's all i'm doing just put on you know you know if, if you don't like my band you know start your own like just that simple right
0: well one thing i can say for that that Jess quest co-op look at all the shows on at the arcadian hall there were the early ones there. And then like the mixed bills, like that's another thing I want to touch on too. Like, you know, when spark markers started so the early, early nineties, like that, we had all different, everybody's different, ba- you know, metal bands, punk bands, hardcore bands, whatever, weird bands, freaking evaporators, deprogrammers. Like I remember that first, like it was still so, so cool, but then sorry, getting back to like when punk broke and quit being underground And that, I mean, I can still remember the, what year was it? Green day and and, like, I mean, it seemed offspring. That was it. Like it seemed that's when for me, the scene kind of splintered into, into little groups, you know, there was the Vancouver hardcore scene that, you know, you, you guys being you strain, right. It splintered and you know, I was part of that too. Um, How do you feel, how do you feel about that? If you know what I'm saying about like the, do you get what I mean about it? It's splinting into so many different groups.
1: It goes back to that whole thing about identity. You know, we all, I think humans want to feel like we belong, you know, I'm sure you all both can agree with me. It's like, there's something unique about going to see a band play and let's say you don't even fucking know their lyrics, but everyone's at this band has heard of this band. You haven't heard of them yet. And you go to see this band play, and everyone's so into them and everyone knows the lyrics and everyone's chanting the lyrics and you don't even know the lyrics but you just want to be up the front and feel like you're chanting along. It's so over, it's overwhelms you and, mm-hmm. and that's a sense of wanting to belong to something that's I think larger than ourselves and so sometimes we create an identity around it and I think that's it's useful for the people who create the identity to say, like we're in this together. I don't think it makes sense for people afterwards. Like Then the, I think they're trying to understand what the identity meant and what it means. And I don't think it was actually for them. And that's the problem. Like, straight Edge is a good example of that. People put X's up on their hands and it's like, no, X's was for a community in Washington, D.C. that had all-ages shows. And the only way they could get in is if they had X's on their hands so that they could go to the show and not go to the bar, and then they said, fuck it, we don't want to drink. And that was mm-hmm. a statement specifically about a law in Washington, D.C., and it created something for them to organize themselves and made sense for them. It doesn't translate for anybody else afterwards. It just becomes this, like, a costume. And and and, and I don't think... I think in America, in North America, I think and. Whatever. whatever the i hate the word developed world but you know in, in 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 a capitalist developed world or whatever that there is this whole concept that you know uh i can kind of own these uh, identities and and that, that means something and uh i think we, we we're so used to just being able to purchase and buy things and say this is what it is and i want to have that that we we quickly succumb to it. I think capitalism is really powerful and and we don't realize how much we get sucked into it sometimes. Um, and organic things are beautiful and wonderful and I don't know, we're nostalgic I guess as humans so we want to recreate. When Spar did a reunion show, I didn't want to do a reunion show ever. The only reason we, I, I said yes to it was because we went to an under show, undertow reunion show and I was like, oh I get it, it's kind of like a high, a high school reunion. Yeah, I didn't care about the bands at all. I was like, "Oh my god, I haven't seen you for so long! Oh my god, I haven't like you know." I, we played a lot in Seattle, and all right, I went to a lot of shows in Seattle myself. So I just, there's so many friends that were there. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I never went to my high school reunion, but you know, I'd go to the Undertow reunion. And it had nothing to do with Undertow. I really didn't care about them for them performing. I don't even know if I watched them. Anyway, the point of the matter was, you know, um and I did the Spark margarine show like that I was like, "Yeah, okay, I get it. This is like." This isn't about me and the band playing. It's about creating a space for people to get together and kind of connecting with that tribe that you have or had at one point. You know,
0: absolutely what
1: it was. Totally, and and you know, on a musical outlook, someone says, "Oh, Sludge sounds nothing like, uh, let's say, Spark Marker." You know what I mean? But you know, Sludge and Spark Marker shared a stage. You know, what comes with that is this history that you know Corey and I have known each other since we were 14. So of course we're gonna play a show together. You know, I don't care. I'm not saying we do or don't sound each other sound similar or anything like that. What I'm saying is, yeah. you know, you know, if, if we played a show with B and or you know played a show with strain, you know, it's not about us sounding the same. It's about we went I mean I remember going to Link. I don't know if you remember that band Link from Olympia. Yeah. They did their last show in Seattle. You know what I mean? And oh fuck, I was like, I'm going. And so did a bunch of my friends and you know, go to the Velvet Elvis. And like, it's like, all the Undertow kids are in the front row too. You know what I mean? And and myself, you, you see photos of their last show. It's like it nothing to do with our sounds. We're just part of the same world and we're supporting each other. That's all, you know what I mean? doesn't have to sound the same, but you know, again, Capitalism wants to say, this is what it sounds like. This is what the band is. So this must be this, and we must group this all together. And people love it. you know. That's why I think Straight Edge took off. So where people are like, this is the look. This is the sound. And then this is, I just find it weird This there's such a thing as a straight edge sound. It really baffles me. Um, and when Spartan Marker played shows, sometimes we'd be on these straight edge bills. And it was the weirdest thing in the world because every band sounded like, we played a whole bunch of shows with Strife. And strife were like oh my god like we had played shows with them before and they were fans of spark marker like it almost anyway they were some of them were big spark marker fans and every band sounded like strife except us and <laughs> the crowd all came in for the opening bands that sounded like strife and then when we got on stage left because we you know, sorry, there was some people there, but you know what I mean. Like majority, it was like it was like it was so hilarious because we didn't sound like what they were supposed to, what they were expecting. You know, and believe me, I was that kid too. I remember seeing COC with No Means No opening. And I was like, No Means No, they're so weird. These old, weird guys playing music. I don't get it. Like, you know what I mean? I want yeah. like fast, hardcore, like scream, oh, fucking COC. And then it was like, people were like, I remember, I remember talking to Reed because I did an interview with him from COC. And remember and him being like, oh, did you see No Means No? And I was like, no. I was like outside <laughs> talking to my friends. because like, all those old geeks. He's like, oh, Ooh. they were so amazing. And I was like, really? Maybe. <laughs> I don't no, there's a band from here that I, I don't know. I miss you. And then I started listening to them, and I was like, "Fuck, I, I can't believe it. I, I, I got go to go their next show. They're they're really cool." You know what I mean? It was like that mixing of flavors in a show. I mean, you know, I mean, if you think that B and U and 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 Strain and Spire Marker is a diverse you know set, I mean, look at early punk shows where you have crazy, you know crusty punk bands playing you know with the Minutemen and 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 MDC and like the red hot chili peppers or something like that. Like you're just like, oh my God, these bands are like so, so on different fields. Like not even not even close to sounding the same. Like nowhere even like and that'd be a fucking amazing show to see like you know just from this diversity of, of those musicians, you know? Uh, I I don't know what you do, how to get that. You know what I mean? I I don't know what the kids are doing now. I'm 50 this weekend. So like, what do I know about youth culture? You know what I mean? I'm just reminiscing.
0: What I was getting at, sorry, was that like it seemed be 93 or whatever it was when green day and offspring broke there that we had, like just mentioning that show in Pit Meadows, we had all those bands you mentioned playing. It was like eight bands at that show. And it seemed after that, that it was like, okay, well now Sludge isn't going to play over here with these bands anymore. And it kind of broke, it broke away. And that's sad because I'm always talking about that, how to, especially younger people, how it was different back then. But it's also because it needed to be that way. There wasn't, there wasn't shows every weekend, right? Everybody was friends. There was, you know, with that. And it it, it is sad, but I have noticed in the last few years at all ages shows that they've been having the hardcore scene in Vancouver, that it's kind of gone back to that. That's cool. But accepting others, get more punk kids out to the hardcore shows. And like, it's, it's gone back to that, which is really, really good to see because I mean, Hey, like I said, I've, I'm struggling. I'm 30 years straight edge. I'm still a hardcore kid. Like even though I'm an adult, 13 year old daughter, like mm. that's my, you know, that's my roots. Right. I still love hardcore, but um, no, like it, we had something really cool. And I just want to say, Kim again, thanks for that. Like so many shows, man, like, you know, you were the, uh, you were definitely a huge part of, of that together, man. And the history, you know, history and everything in Vancouver for me and so many people, like it 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 meant a lot to me,
1: like, just so you know that it wasn't like, Oh, like uh, for me, you know, uh, again, those were uh, those years when I was 14 and 15 and very lost, you know, uh, punk rock helped me get back and, and figure out what it was that meant to me. And so um, when, even though I was involved in the music industry and punk rock stuff, that's punk mainstream, um, you know, I was very, uh, quite aware that, you know, I, I, people were like, why don't you want to do this as as your band? And I was like, I will not sell out my principles. (laughs) Like this means way more to me. Like I just, in hindsight, I've had so many opportunities that were presented to me and I just did, I couldn't do them because I didn't feel right. And, and, it's because like, I just, my heart was in that. Those, those, that's, that. Was, it was just something so precious. That whole verbal assault, it's more than music is, is, it, you know, really encaptured like this is what this scene means to me. It was so much more to music for me at that time, you know, but going back to what you were saying, Jason, Hey, people then grew up, uh, watching you know music television and seeing green day perform and that was punk yeah and then they were playing shows no offense to any of the bands we played with that sound like green day or green day for that matter because we actually had some we even knew some people that worked with green day and stuff like That that's stayed, stayed. anyway stayed on their yeah. dime um but the point of the matter was um You know, then you're playing shows with people who are coming into the scene for a wholly different reason. We were a spart marketer playing shows and bands wanted to play with us because we had this old age of scene thing down and people were wanting to tap into that. And I was like, fuck you. Like, I, I just I had real trouble even believing bands wanted so desperately to sign to a major label to me it was like well you grew up to this point where you had to have a major label because you were already so successful you needed the next step but there was bands who just wanted to jump to a major label and i was like why like and i realized those kids grew up with it being on tv so you know they had a whole different perspective that this was it i mean i mean i did an album design for like sum 41 and avril lavigne and like because it looks punk and the ad brought me in and my, the record company I worked at. And it's just like, you know, those kids don't know what punk is, you know what I mean? They have no concept. Avril Levine's first concert was to like a free concert at the Commodore Ballroom. With a thousand people lined up around, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just a punk-ish <laughs> look, maybe. But you know what I mean? And some 41, they just want to sound like Green Day and, you know, Blink 182, or whatever that band's called. You know, they just wanted to sound like those bands and they could be a rock star. You know what I mean? I eventually was like, oh, if we could make money off of our band. And actually, I was, uh, you know, we, we, you know, towards the end, it was like, everyone's cashing in on this. Like, can we, like, keep our, you know, our principles and our ethics and, you know, be successful? And, you know, pretty much honestly, you know, that all dropped out at some point and you know it was no longer cool the guitar bands were no longer cool anyway and we kind of just missed our opportunities i think just the way things happened with our band and you know ryan and us leaving separating our ways and stuff like that you know there was a lot of crazy opportunities presented on there.
0: who was i was just gonna say kim i was gonna ask you that um you guys ended up signing with crisis revelation right for when you had moved over to was it was that right
1: yeah yeah, yeah. it was hard to, we actually just wanted to be on revelation right from the get-go so i, I don't know it was Kind of funny thing that was that was kind of like a, a compromise in, in some respects i didn't understand why we just can't be on revelation but supposedly at that time we just didn't They didn't know what to do with a canadian band and you know later on they just it was no big deal but people had trouble with us not sounding like we were from new york not sounding not being from new york but sounding like we were from new york and how do you sell a canadian bander? Or not yeah it was weird it was really weird if we just moved to new york we actually contemplated like what would it be like to move to new york because there were just so many more opportunities if we lived there for sure and it didn't make any sense to us when we we're in vancouver the opportunities barely existed in, in new york people were just like dude you got a home here type of thing like that so yeah it was kind it of was kind of weird
0: so you're hit, hit up by major by major labels I'm assuming then? Oh the uh, yeah, I
1: mean the big one was was uh Mike Gitter. really you know was really into us uh and so he wanted to sign us to Atlantic and um yeah, that that you know get, that gets gets really complicated because the timing was, you know, Ryan he heard about us just after Ryan left the band. Our CD was just coming out, you know, we did our last tour with Ryan because we were definitely um, no matter, I, I get it. Smart Mario was awesome with Ryan. You know what I mean? But like, as, as a band who's like sitting in a small room writing music together, there was just an incredible amount of tension and uncomfortability in uh, our, our, our jam spaces with Ryan, we just were going down different paths and we just kept butting heads all the time. So, you know, uh, as much, some people maybe like the record afterwards and would have been nice to do a third record maybe. But the point of the matter was, you know, um, we were transitioning and changing. We kept our name because we didn't want to start from the beginning again. And Mike Gitter was like, any chance of you guys getting back together as your old singer? And I was just like, I don't think that's <laughs> going to happen, man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was just like, this record's amazing. You know, we really could put this out, we could put you out right now. We have this other record label we're starting called the Atlantic Group Tag. And I think it would be a good fit, 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 fit for it. And, and you know he really was you know doing his best to be nicely you know pushing that along of what it is. and it was just like on a business decision it was a really poor decision for us not to like get back together with Ryan and, and do that probably. But I you know, just didn't feel right. so you know and then and then you had brought it up in one of your questions. Um, he Mike Gator came back up to uh, see spark Marker play but, uh, that, and that's what the band knew. And, but really I'd already been having conversations, uh, with my getter about, uh, this band Civ. Um, actually before okay. that, Walter was phoning me up, trying to get me to, to talk to me about some project or something. And I didn't know, you know, there's no, I didn't even have like, you <laughs> know what I mean? Like you didn't have cell phones back then. So I come home to home and there was a, I had my own phone line at home. I lived with my parents and, um, they uh you know there's I had a voicemail and I was like, oh Walter fuck that's cool right like uh, I, you know I met him on a couple of the quick sense tours and stuff I like met him at their shows and um and and he kept playing phone tag and and then eventually um, what you call it uh, Charlie uh, was his roommate, I guess. And he answered the phone one time and he said, is this Kim? You're from Sparmarker. And, and I was like, yeah, goes, I know he's been having real trouble, you know, ch- you know trying to get a hold of you, but here, let me just tell you, you know, the idea is a really awesome idea. And then he just started telling me about Civ and stuff like this. And it was, I think it'd be interesting if, if I actually talked to Walter, because it was like someone selling me on something. And I, I did know Char- uh, Charlie and, 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 and um, of course I was, I was, you know, really, uh, what do you call it? Uh, grateful for being thought of um but i know it wasn't the first like i think norm from texas is a reason was approached and there was a bunch of people learned afterwards that uh, turned it down uh, and it was really a package like they were like this is the band we're releasing going this is our look this is the sound and and it was just so like like contrived yep. to me for I sure it's like I was just like uh you know ryan left the band i have a band actually i'm still doing stuff and uh you know and then mike Gitter then followed up with me and then he came out to see spark marker play i'm like hey this is gonna be our show and then he's like hey let's go out for dinner you and me and and that's when i realized he actually didn't want to see spark play. he actually wanted to, to convince me to hmm. come to new york and play instead of, and gave me all the advanced recording uh, rough tracks mixes and stuff like that and so that, that, that was a weird situation because, you know, I really thought he was interested in seeing Spartan Market. So was the band and he was interested in the band if Ryan was in the band, you know what I'm saying? And then it became like, they were more interested in me because of my background that they thought I would fit into like Civ because they want someone that was, knew the hardcore scene back then. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like I, I never really dug like wholeheartedly Gorilla Biscuits are youth today. They were just straight edge bands. I, I collected the records and they weren't yeah. my favorite. They just, you know, I knew it, but it, it wasn't my passion. So, you know, the one Civ song that sounds like a bit like maybe quicksandish was the only song that I was like, well, if it sounded like that, then I'd be like totally into it, but I was totally emo about it. And I sent back our newest demo that Spark Marker had to my Gitter, I wasn't talking to the band anymore. Um, and And just cause he was trying to get me to go back. And it was like everything. I was like, I'm like, how would I work in New York? We'll get you a work visa. We'll set you up and we'll get you. It was just like, it was so crazy. You know, uh, the guys in Spark Marketing, you know, uh, uh, you know, I did tell them that they were trying to get me in, in Sev, and, and Jason was like, I'll teach you everything. Cause I was like, I can't learn other people's song." Jason was like, I'll teach everything, Kim, if you need to do that. And I just, you know, I just had come out of the closet to in Vancouver to my friends. And I was like moving to New York where I don't know people, I don't have stuff and starting this whole world again. And we we're just recording a record. I was like, this doesn't feel like uh, you know uh, you know no offense to the guys in the band but i remember you know trying to say yeah you know and there's some really good we have a really good look for the band and there's these really cool bars and stuff like that there's all these really hot chicks at this bar and stuff like this and i was like oh fuck, i have to come out to these guys like I, I, and that seems so simple for people maybe today but at that time i was just like you know there there was no other hardcore kids that were like coming out and being gay that was that was weird back then. Like, I was definitely an odd duck doing yeah. that. I, I, no, I was in my hometown. not lots of support. But when you talk about those songs on the road, yeah, I was the weird gay guy on, on the road playing hardcore shows who would say sometimes, not always, but sometimes, like, this song's about being gay and I'm gay, you know? And usually no one would say that or a few people would come up, hey, that was really cool that you came out, man. I really appreciate that, and then run away. You know, it was just like, it was just not a safe environment for people to be coming out and being gay. I mean, J Tree Records fucking, you know, stopped doing their like online BBS chat form because people were like concerned that one of the guys in Promise Ring was gay. It was just it it was it was just don't talk about it. It was that whole uh, you know, don't ask, don't tell type thing. And you know that. So passe now, but you know, that's where that was back then, you know. So, you know, to do that and move and sieve and blah blah blah. And then my name got on a list, and it was like I was on a list, I guess. And you know, Orange Nine Millimeter lost a guitar player, and so I guess you know, I was on that list. And I met the Orange Nine Millimeter guys when there was the warp tour, and then they weren't overt about talking to me about it then, but then shortly afterwards i got a phone call at my work because i guess mike gitter had my work phone number and i worked in a warehouse and uh it was gavin from uh die 116 and and all those other bands he uh was starting a new band and he's like yeah i heard you know i'm looking for some guitar players and got your name on a list from the orange nine miller guy Made, and i was just like oh, I guess I'm on a list for Orange Eye Millimeter. And I was like, I'm in a band. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I did not know you were in a band. I saw this list that I was giving, uh, trying to put this band together. It's going to be really cool. But, you know, I don't want to fuck with your band, man. Sorry about that. And it was really, uh, what a weird, that, I mean, that all happened within <laughs> like, like maybe like, like six months at most, you know, I remember seeing Sick of It All. Uh, oh, do you ever remember that? I don't know if you went to that. There was in, in Seattle, it was Sick of It All and Orange Millimeter. Corn. Corn. yeah 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 and uh, ron was uh was working he moved to new york and he was uh, yeah, uh, roading for uh, orange nine millimeter at the time and he's like hey man i heard you're joining civ and i was like oh, ah. man no like it was like i wasn't even talking about it like i was sort of like it just felt really like a weird issue with the band like you know what i mean like that someone was trying to the leave spark marker and was trying to make spark marker go, but eh, whatever. Anyway, I, I sent back a recording to Mike Gitter of the newest Spark recording at the end, put this real like, like you know, writes uh, a spring song at the end of it that was sort of like uh, drink deep, it's just a taste. And it was just my sort of like, nah, this is my passion. Like, and uh, he was like, is that last song? That's not you, is it? And I was like, no, it was like, no, that's right to spring. It was like, me just saying like, no, like I'm following my passion. man. I'm like, that's, that's what I want to do, so.
0: Uh, that's cool nice to have the uh, you know the interest though for sure you know
1: and things really got crazy in my life soon afterwards so you know I don't know soon afterwards after that is when I found out that I uh, had HIV and that was like probably I'm gonna say 95 we broke up in 97 so you know we're trying to get this record out and that was like you know people were dying with HIV back then and I was like in all these like studies and t- tests to do these crazy different drugs as I was young. And uh, it's a whole, we could talk hours about this, but you know, like I was like this like poster child for, not poster child, but like a, an ideal subject for scientists. To, I was converting, as they call it, like viruses in me and I was just, uh, just creating the antibodies and they just wanted to do like, well, quote unquote, save me, but you know, like kind of like to try all these new drugs out on me. And I was thrust into a crazy scientific world with that while playing fucking shows and booking tours it was like really fucking crazy and and i mean when we toured europe my hiv specialist i was on a like a a drug trial for a new hiv drug and he was like i'm like i'm going on tour so like i'm not going to take any of this with me like i I wasn't even legally allowed to go to the states the states up into 2008 had a law that anyone with hiv was not allowed in the states so if you declared any some or found out that you were living with hiv you could you were denied entry into the states as a tourist never oh, mind wow. living there and so i was really hush-hush about being positive i politically wanted to talk about it but legally i was like scared shitless of anyone having anything in print or on the internet eventually of of that being known, because I would not just ban, just me personally would be denied going to the States. And as much as I love Canada, my Canada is about always going down to the States. Like Seattle is my other city. You know what I mean? Like I really don't care about Edmonton or Calgary, Seattle and Portland, I Same. need to have access to Bellingham. Oh my God, my other hometown, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. so to not be able to to think about losing that privilege, which was a privilege, um, and and not, you know, I, I want to do whatever I could to kind of hold on to that. So I, I didn't really speak up about that. But when I told my doctor that I was going, I I'm, like, I'm going on a, we're going on like, I don't know what it was, like a 60 day tour. We always did these crazy tours. And then and then we came home and then we're going to Europe for like um, uh, two months. And it was like to push the record and the record didn't even fucking come out on time. We'll get into that. And so we're touring without a record actually in the end, it was stupid. And um, uh, my doctor was like, I said, so I can't take these meds because I'm not gonna travel uh, with all these meds because they had to be refrigerated. It was like, it took like 18 of this one pill a day refrigerated, huge capsules, totally don't make them anymore, you not use them. And uh, he was like, I can order drop off pickup spaces, stations, uh, places for you at every hospital and every major city in Europe for you to continue the study. I was wow. like, wow, that's <laughs> really amazing that you do this but i don't know if you know what kind of touring i'm doing it's like i don't get that much time off i can't be spending my focus of going into every hospital like rome or you know cologne or london to get drugs like that's just fucking crazy you know what i mean like i'll have barely enough time to get to the show you know what i mean like and i don't want that yeah, I was, I, at that time i was like if, if i'm gonna die i want to have an amazing tour of Spark Marker without worrying about this all the time. And sadly, not sadly, weirdly, oddly, you know, um, Jordan was in our band and he had cystic fibrosis. And so it was like, it was weird. We were in this band where two people have life-threatening illnesses and it was, um, yeah, that was, you know, I mean, we toured with, uh, with with uh, Jordan sometimes, and he was like the canary in the cage, man. Like, if we were in New York for a while. He would just get so sick and start coughing so much because the air quality was so shitty. And you know, uh, cystic fibrosis really affects your lungs. And it was like, fuck, man. Like, we need to get the fuck out of here. Jordan is not doing well. Like, this is crazy. Or we're playing a show in someone's basement and there's no air. And I'm like, are you gonna be okay, Jordan? Because like. This is a fucking crazy atmosphere. I can barely breathe, you know.
0: And Europe's even worse. I don't <laughs> know, not smoking in fricking bomb shelters and you know. We had a really good that was, was really a,
1: that was a really good tour to I to do. That was the best tour we had ever done. We played, you know, we paid all ages shows all the way up into that and barely got on bills. The one good thing about Nirvana and Green Day and all that is there was, I think, a lot more places to play because people were really trying to play guitar music. And didn't matter who you were, you could find some shows, may not get paid. But um, when we got to Germany, um, we said, okay, we'll play all ages because they were like, we can't, we, you're a nobody band, like we can't do an all ages tour for you, unless you have you're, you know, on someone else's, um, you know, picking up someone else's uh, tour, you're, you know, uh, opening for them or something and you know, there's just no, not that many religious venues and blah, 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 blah. won't be feasible. And we're like, okay, so we'll play bar shows for this. This is kind of when we decided, all right, we'll, we'll compromise. And I think we played an religious show in Vancouver or a, a bar show in Vancouver to make money, to try to pay for some of our bills. Starfish and room.
3: That was, remember, that, was that. That, was that was it. I remember that.
1: That was our big sellout moment for me. Um, and or, or wake up to the paying the bills thing but to uh, fuck man and you in germany specifically not europe germany specifically oh my god they treated us well they were like you're a band from north america you're an artist and they always made sure we had food and anything we wanted to drink and you know we had a driver it, thank god i mean it was all budget but it was like it, it was like it was the best you know tour note to end on um and and we all had a really i think a, a really good time but uh, Jason already said he was quitting the band, so we kind of was like, "What do we want to do after this?" You know, for me, I was like, "My health was like, it was still like, what's going on with my health?" I was like, "I need to really figure out what's going on with my health. I need a break." And 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 Rob wanted to keep on doing stuff, so kind of got to a stalemate that we were all kind of in different places. So let's break up. I would have gotten back together again if we had planned on it and just taken a break, but. That wasn't like what was agreed upon, so I was like, "All right, we end it."
2: When did you guys get back to that reunion show? Was that uh, a few years ago? I think.
1: I think it was like 2012. I think.
2: It Was it for charity? Right. It was post- cystic post- fibrosis. Yeah. Yeah. More
1: money went to cystic fibrosis. I'd like to say that we made, you know, uh, that we raised tons of money for cystic fibrosis, but I mean, the truth of the matter was we barely broke even on that show. Never mind making. I mean, merch, merchandise, We a portion of our merchandise went to cystic fibrosis uh, and Jordan's father raised all this money at the Rona store that he worked at. It was so sweet um, and it raised attention and elevated awareness about cystic fibrosis. So, you know, that was a win, you know, on that level. But um, as far as like, you know, uh, Jason, we, we had to fly Ryan in from Toronto and Jason had to be brought in. Uh, I think he was touring with Narrows and we had to pay, tour, pay Narrows to come. Anyway, the way it worked out was I'll think, Yeah, I didn't make any money off that show. That's for sure. <laughs> that you fun, thought, right?
0: Were you surprised by the Were you surprised by the turnout, Kim? It was pretty damn good. If I remember it being.
1: Um, I didn't want to play the rickshaw, man. I wanted to play um, a smaller show. I wanted to play the Biltmore, um, but they if we played the Biltmore, we had to do there was we had to kick everyone else out because we were going to do a dance night after you know a DJ night set or yeah. something afterwards. And our whole concept was that people could, my concept at least, was that I want people to be able to hang out and, and chat. So I, I really wish it was a smaller venue. I think it would have been more intimate. I I kind of felt like it was a bit of a rock show. Um, I was really yeah. happy to see people there, but, you know, as a venue, it has a backstage and, It's just just a setup different where the audience and the the performer are really, there is that dichotomy. It's spatialized. And, 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 and I, you know, sometimes Spartan Mark would get off the stage and play on the ground. You know what I mean? It was like, let's break that. I love breaking the stage audience barrier. Like I love playing weird places. I love when the audience and the, and and the band performing feed off of each other. And I've played some intimate shows like that. And it's hard to do that on a big stage, but just, it can be done, but it's just difficult, you know? The closest spark maker ever got to really making that kind of work was when we played the New York theater, one of our big shows, when we, our record came out and we gave tickets to like, I think 25. I said, can we have any friends on our stage with us? And the, the house was like, 25. I was like 25. And so, okay, that's works for me. I'll make this work. And so we got little tickets and we got 25 tickets. And so I gave them to my friend, Trish Kelly, and my best friends, and I said, all right, give them to like any of your friends, our friends is your friends, is people that you know that you know, are part of the scene and give them tickets and they can go on stage and dance and do whatever they want and be on stage with us. <laughs> so when we played, we actually had friends on stage with us and that worked for me, you know what I mean? I, that was a good show. I that was a catch show. I really, I like, I like the feeling of that. I remember Eric thorkelson was like, "That's a hardcore show." Like, he's... oops. you're <laughs> not connected with people anymore like that to be able to just. It, it just was different. Do you remember the House for Zach show at Hamilton? The fucking best show we ever played because yes. of that man. Oh my god, I fucking <laughs> loved that show. Like Jason and I, I was still... in your face. Till this day, we're like, what's your our face. favorite show, man? What's our favorite show? And we're like, House for Zach, man. By far. That was just because, I mean, I'm sure maybe all the shows were like that. But it reminded me of like, like you ever see those, uh, those uh, fish who like swim in, 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 in like a tornado? And like the swordfish, uh, the sword sharks or remember, the hammerhead sharks, they swim into it and all the fish go, whoa! And then they go back into it. I felt like that, like, if I move my guitar, everyone would go, ah! And then they'd all swing right back again, ah! It was like, this, it, like, we felt like we were a part of the crowd when we performed. Obviously, Rob was a drummer, so it probably wasn't that big of a difference for him. But Jason and I were like, oh my God, there's a person this close to my guitar. And when I move, they move with me. <laughs> and like, we were just like a sea of, or an organic expression of, of a scene. And, and, and it was like, I, nothing else. Uh, matches to that feeling as that House for Zach show, man. Crazy I think for
2: those for those who don't know, House for Zach was uh, was a house rented by a bunch of guys uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and I guess they decided to put on shows there without the landlord knowing. And all these shows would be in the main family room, right? I believe it yeah, was the living room. I think it was, it was yeah. as big as the room you are in right now, Kim. It was just packed. A lot of big bands played there. Earth Crisis, Conviction, Unbroken. The list goes on. Uh, did and we play with Undertow
1: for that show?
0: You did play with Undertow, yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: I'm just nice mixer things. Up. Was
0: that the show with Chokehold as well? Or is that a awesome. different one I'm thinking of?
1: Uh, awesome. I know yeah. I hung out with Jeff from Chokehold at that show because I gave him the Strain demo. And he was all psyched about it. And maybe, Spencer, I gave it to you as well. I remember just taping, going, here's a demo of this new Banderman and, and you know, putting it in the dual cassette deck type thing like that.
2: But I guess, you, did you did you tour with Dave Larson as well from Excursion? He was yeah, on that he, he tour, was on the tour. Right? He was That's the roadie. We met. Yeah, yeah, he
1: was yeah. the roadie for an Undertow, and Jordan <laughs> was a to, uh, the roadie for Spark Marker. So, oh god, yeah. that, was, that was they had some funny fucking memories on that tour.
2: And you guys did a lot of dates in Ontario too, right? Southern Ontario.
1: Yeah, yeah, tour? yeah. We we always tried to play Southern Ontario. It was easier to come out from the south, you know, from after playing New York and stuff like that. So. Never made it to the Maritimes though, sadly. Our van broke down when we one time we had a tour. But uh, fuck yeah, that show was that that was good. I remember there was some other hearts. So I don't know if it was Chokehold then, but some Stranage band did like an amazing cover of Inside Out. Um, uh, What's that cut song? Big one.
2: No, spiritual, Burn, no spiritual surrender.
1: No spiritual surrender. And uh, we were like, fuck, those guys fucking got that down tight, man. So I actually saw Inside Out back in Bellingham and play in a basement. So um, legendary and, uh, show. Uh, did you go to that too?
0: I didn't have, I didn't even hear about it. I was from Cloverdale. I didn't even, had, um, didn't even know you guys, you know, the Strain guys or anybody yet at that point in time. So it's
1: like, these I missed almost, yeah, 25
0: sure, minutes from home.
1: Yeah. So you were really close. You were <laughs> oh. really fucking close. You could just, you could have taken that border crossing into uh, yep, wherever it at. Uh, Literally. But I did is. see
0: some shows there at um, that dude's house. I think I, I did. I saw oh. you guys play Bill's bills. I saw you guys play there once as well.
1: Yeah. There was two uh Bill's garage and then later on Jordan Rain had his garage at shows later on at his place. So uh depending what era it was either at Bill's or Jordan's. Yeah. I mean, again, I went to Bellingham a lot. <laughs> a lot of bands would only come up to Bellingham and then wouldn't want to cross the border because of the technicalities across the board just to play Vancouver and maybe Victoria. And so most so many bands just played up to Bellingham. And so I, I was there all the time.
0: Yeah. No, it's it was, a it was sweet good. place.
1: But Absolutely. Toronto was so nice to play because it was so far from Vancouver. And, you know, when we played California, we were a Canadian band. And, and we, we, we developed relationships with bands, obviously, in California. But still, we were like this Canadian band. And, and in, the Amer- in the States at the time, they were like, what's a Canadian band sound like? Where is Canada? Like, you won't believe how many times we had to explain to people where Canada was. Not necessarily with people in the music scene, but just people that we'd run into in America having to explain where Canada was or British Columbia was. And, you know, it's, you know, it's California's not that far away. Toronto, by the way, is on the fucking other side of the continent almost. And we play shows there and people were excited that we were there. Like they had heard about us and were excited we were playing Toronto. Then we had this weird clout that as like, there weren't many Canadian hardcore bands, but um, in all honesty, as a Vancouver band, we were just, we just wanted to, if if we wanted success, we wanted to be in the States because we didn't really care about making it big in Edmonton and, 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 and Calgary. We wanted to make it big in Seattle and, and Portland and you know, maybe California. And that was so hard. There were so many more millions of people you're competing with, bands you're competing with, and we couldn't go there all the time. We had to lie to cross the border. Hello, big, big, big story for people who are listening. Like, I would type on a fake letterhead that we were recording in a studio with a fake phone number. Sometimes I'd use Clint from Seaweed's number, or sometimes actually Don Fury's when we were recording in New York, and we would make fake letterheads saying we were recording. And when we crossed the border, we would actually have to say – that we're recording and lied to them. I was a really good liar. If it's a good thing that I'm believing, in, I'll lie. And, and, and I was really good at lying and getting ourselves across the border so we could play the shows. But every time we didn't know whether or not we'd be turned back because we were working in the States and that was illegal. And to legally do it, you had to have contracts that said you made so much money. And we played all ages shows in people's basements. We couldn't get contracts that said we made 250 bucks an hour. We'd be lucky if we get paid 20 bucks. So we had to lie to be able to play shows and, and 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 I had no problem doing that. I think I taught the guys at Spark Marker a lot of
0: And that luck. thanks. My old band uh Burden, we did that for when going down to West Coast or Seattle shows or whatever all the time. We did that for 7 years until 911 until yeah. everything changed. We 7 years literally, man. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's it's I mean when I was I mean when I was I mean I obviously lived in North Delta Surrey so Jason can understand the proximity of where I, yeah. I live in Vancouver to the border. Um, you know, uh, after uh, school, sometimes when I was high school, hanging out with some of my metalhead buddies, we would just like hop in the car and get go to Be- uh, Blaine, not even Bellingham, just go to Blaine sometimes. And, and sometimes we go to Bellingham and I would go with my with my my. And there's a thing called a go-card that you got at school to say that you could take, that you were a student and that you could get a, a discount fare on the buses. And that would be my ID to cross the border. Like it was so easy to cross the border when I was a kid. So, you know, I just, it's so hard to, yeah. Imagine being a band DIY and crossing the border now with, you know, these crazy border restrictions that we have and, and, you know uh most of canada is along the border so i would say Vancouver's kind of the end of the line like you know people might make, make their way west but when you're in vancouver it's a big move to go to toronto <laughs> like you know yeah. like the next to go bigger it's it's, it's hard you know like you know it make more sense for me to go to seattle but you know i could never move to seattle like it, you know it, it was it would have made more sense though so yeah it is what it
2: is and so kim Yep. Looking back, what punk or hardcore band or record or show or person had the most impact on you? I know there's a lot going on in the last 30, 40 years, but uh, was there something that kind of comes out to you to, to this day? You know, you're, you're turning 50 soon. You know, you met a lot of people in your life, seen a lot of bands, experiences. Is there anything that comes out and makes you think, you know, wow, that was worth it for that or,
1: you know? Uh, what an amazing. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, um, Dan Walters and Eric Thorkelson at Fratricide really mentored and supported me a lot. I mean, <laughs> I have some lots of funny stories with Dan. And, um, you know, I really kind of it showed me how you could do things or introduce me to a lot of information, a lot of bands. And, and, and Dan gave me records when he like moved out because he's like, i'm moving i don't want to do these records you'll take better care of them than i will and you know gave me his zine and stuff like that to i never did print it but give it back to him 20 years later or something um you know i I can't uh you know you have to wow the wealth of information that was shared as a young you know 14 year old kid uh with you know what seemed like an adult 20 year old you know that was really huge and kind of like this this i could do so much with this and and then without a doubt i i understand this is sean Chakar, you know holloway chuck uh, who was in desperate minds i mean spark marker only toured because we shared a band with that guy so that you know when Chakar or red sugar was going on tour We were doing, a a, we could borrow the van when they weren't touring and vice versa. We co-owned a van together and he printed shirts for us and stickers for us and our covers for our records. And, um, you know, he lived in Vancouver and would drive out to his dad's to do the stuff that, you know, he needed for his friends and stuff like that. that. That guy just had a fucking solid, you know, heart about, you know, helping out community and and music and sharing information, sharing resources and phone numbers, and just giving me the gumption to be able to say, I can do this and you can do it too. And I was never in the band Spark Marker to say people, see what I can do? You can't do this because I'm so good. It was always like, if I can do this, you can do this. Get up on stage, start a band, express your voice, share your story share whatever it is that your experience is your voice your experience matters and it deserves to be shared and documented and it doesn't matter if it's not perfect it doesn't matter if it's not a polished or there's someone else who does it better this is yours this is your story and and and, and that really galvanized in me me to this degree where i still to this day really Appreciate community and documenting it and making sure that the voices of those that we don't hear are raised. And if I can, if I can open the door and keep my foot in it to let people who don't have that opportunity or privilege to come in through the door, that I keep my, I keep the door open so they can sneak in the backstage or behind the show or something like that. So try to remind myself of my privilege and to share it back.
2: So what's on the horizon for you for 2021?
1: Yeah, what, what? it's like one day at a time with COVID. I mean, it's such a weird world. Um, yeah. we, we briefly touched on it that uh, I got diagnosed with cancer. I don't know if that was recording or not. So, you know, I got diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. It's, you know, a fatal cancer. Yeah, I'm still alive right now. At some point, it's going to come back. Um, I was so, I can't even tell you how excited I was. To, I had 10 months of chemo and, and every chemo was Every cancer is different. Every chemo is different. There just, there's no, you can't even compare them. Mine was my story. It was my journey, whatever. It was fucking 10 months. And I just couldn't wait to finish it and then just get out and see the world. And that was March of last year when COVID came out. And I was so depressed because I spent 10 months in my bed recovering and I still, I need to get my strength back. I I mean, I lost a lot of weight and I was, I was, I didn't have the strength or anything like that. And then COVID hit. And I was like, Oh my God, all my plans for this year are just shot because you know, I, who knows no one knew if the chemo was going to, no one could promise me that the chemo was going to be effective. So I was like, if it's not effective, you know, how much longer do I have? I was like, you know, like really, Taught me to enjoy, try to appreciate the moment. Um, and I couldn't wait to get out. So, um, to not be able to travel after that, um, it's, it's, it's been a hard journey to do that. So, I'm trying to really just focus on the day <laughs> or the week, you know, and, and take the small little gifts that I get uh, uh, and, and having some projects to work on that make me feel connected. This is one. This is great to be able to connect with you guys. Thank you so much um share my story um or experience uh and ideally i hope because i just moved into a house a couple months ago and part of it is have like renovation projects that are giving me something to do that are on my own time frame and um once those are close to being finished which they are i'm hoping after my birthday i'll kind of shift gears again um my big plan last year before covid hit, um was uh that work on this personal archive to give to Simon Fraser University in Burnaby, which is where I used to live um, when I was a teenager. Um, and uh, not that I've ever gone to university, but um, I uh, they have a special collection, the punk collection. And I asked them about donating some stuff to them. And then I kind of told them you know, uh, what I have and what my story is. And they were really interested in my story of not just the punk rock, obviously story that they have, uh, which it's a Vancouver punk uh, archive, but really it's kind of like a Pacific Northwest Canadian alternative music library is how it should be called because it's so much more than Vancouver and so much more than punk. Uh, But they just have a mandate to better preserve uh, queer LGBTQ2 plus uh, um, stories. And so, you know, they were really excited to get everything I've, I've, I've done. So uh, I was kind of like, what am I going to do with my records? Or what am I going to do? Not, I'm not going to take just my record collection, but like the records, I put out, obviously, but my zines or anything I I wrote or, or, or put together little scraps of boxes. I'm a, definitely an archivist. I keep digital copies or physical copies of anything I have had uh, and they want it. So um, I'm hoping that uh, I'll be able to do some more work on, on sharing Uh, organizing some of that because if they just get it as a mess it doesn't really mean anything to them so I can't have to organize it and um, so that'll be a bit of a journey so this is helps inspire me and get back on track having this conversation Um, and I also want to do a podcast create a podcast uh, tentatively called chemo emos cancer queers and other heroes um, which is just about the story of people who are living with life-threatening illnesses who um, a lot of times the stories are just the experiences and the stories are not often shared. and Sometimes it's hard, especially for a lot of queer folks who don't feel recognized in a lot of institutions to get some of their um, experiences or identities or uh, supports um, met in a non-heteronormative concept way. And I want some of those stories to be shared so other people who are going through that can kind of like go, okay, I'm not the only person having this experience. Um, and uh, I think there'll be some really unique sharing and stories. and uh, I'm a storyteller, so I talk a lot. Are we at two hours yet? Uh, we're getting close. <laughs> we're getting
0: close, but no worries. Shut then.
1: me up because I'll keep talking.
0: <laughs> a pleasure, Kim. Um, okay, what, what else do we have? Spence has some word association oh. game he wants to play. Oh. So we're going to add some fun to this, uh, Kim.
2: So <laughs> we'll, just say a word.
0: <laughs> we'll just say a
2: word, and you don't even think, first thing that comes to mind, Okay. Just say it, and then uh, we'll, we'll be in, Jason will alternate.
1: Is it just one word that I get to say afterwards, or I get? To you, say no, just
0: to say what I think. Say whatever. Oh, a say words.
2: Words. whatever. A feeling okay. or thought. Okay, I'll try. Uh, okay.
0: Go uh, first. I just
2: gotta to find it here.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, well, he's looking. Jason. I'll say. I'll. Okay. Hopefully, you can. Um, these won't totally be duds. Aaron Brown.
1: Oh, my God. I've known Aaron Brown since he was probably 14. And um, he actually didn't live too far away from me. I I, I I have such a I love. That's why I like having so much time in Vancouver. I've, I've seen that. I've seen him be a kid and 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 grow up and just see so many parts of his journeys and minds crossover. over. And at one point, he was an annoying fucking jerk. Yes, fucking he was. And he knows it and he would admit it. And, yes, totally. And, but I always appreciated him having his voice and asking difficult questions. Why? You know what I mean? Maybe sometimes he was like a drunk jerk or something like that. But like, oh, yeah. he, he was always like, asking a question and wanting to understand and really kind of pushing my buttons. But I feel like those were the questions that people need to talk about sometimes are the things that don't seem fair or don't understand. um, And that uh, I had some funny stories, not funny, I think interesting stories with him where I remember him being like, like I was really, I don't know. i was just seen as being a popular guy in the hardcore scene, which is so fucking high school. But, you know, and it was like, oh, like, I'm really cool because I have such a big record collection. If I didn't have such a big record collection, I wouldn't be so cool. And I was like, you know what? My record collection does not make me who I am. And and he's like, yes, it does, because everyone talks about your record collection. If you didn't have all those cool old records, people wouldn't think you're so cool or something like that. And so I was like, you know what? My record collection is, you know, take all my record collection, take all my records, and I'm still going to be who I am. And he's like, oh, yeah, then give them to me. (laughs) <laughs> and i was like good point on you good point on you well we do live in a financial world and i just spent a lot of money on those records but your point is true you can come to my house and have any one record you want any one record you want i will give that to you how about that he's like oh, okay sure i'm going to i'm gonna call you i was like you can have any one record of mine it doesn't make me who i am i do. and he's like really and i was like Yes, phone <laughs> me up, come to my place, it was my parents' place, go through my record collection and one record's yours. And uh, and, he, and, and, and he did come over and, 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 and I thought that was a nice way of kind of finding a compromise of trying to be like, like, I don't know, like, you know, we are, the music, it's not about who holds records. We live in a capitalist system, so there is money, but you know, it is about the community and it is about sharing the message. And if that one record makes somebody else more happier to kind of realize that they're just as important as me, I hope that's how he saw it.
0: And what record did he take?
1: I know that's a good question now. Yeah. It was a UK band for sure. You know, Big a surprise. Def- Yeah, <laughs> I want to say some humans, but I, I he would know, obviously. mean, Spence
0: and I are in a Facebook group chat thing with them we'll find out tomorrow ask him, yeah find oh, out what the answer is well, okay i can't okay. remember okay we will so spence what do you got so i'm gonna
2: roll over the map here uh i'll just say a word and you can tell me the first thing that comes to mind youth
1: youth passion voice energy and uh spirit of uh change jason Favorite record of all time. Oh, I can't do that, man. That's just like, that's just- Top three. Just, that's just so fucking hard. That is just so hard. I, I, I know people ask those questions all the time and I just don't know if I could I just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Desert Island record, any easier? I mean, Quicksand would have to be on there.
0: The Slippermat like, compression.
1: <laughs> I'm going to say Manic Compression. I think the songwriting, it's just, it's beautiful. They're two different records, but I think Manic Compression, if I could only have one, I just think uh, Landmine Spring is one of my favorite songs. Right on.
0: Okay, fair enough.
1: Bugazzi's Repeater. Yeah, that, that just holds, I just hold, the memories I have of that tour and that record, it's just really strong. And this band's like blast. I mean, power of expression. I mean, fucking. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's three. I guess i next. Yeah. Ramones never really got the Ramones, man. I love them. I mean, like everyone knows them, you know what I mean? Like like we all kind of know their songs are kind of like the ACDC of punk, you know, like they just like all their songs are like a very, you know, thing. And thank God they did what they did. They opened a lot of doors, but I don't like a lot of old punk and that I don't I've never owned or seen Ramones. And I don't regret not seeing them or owning a record. I still heard other songs. Rock and Roll High School, though, is a good movie. I love that. It's hilarious.
0: <laughs> okay. let me think off the top of my head for this last one. Um,
1: last? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay.
0: Ron Beresiak of Cat's Game.
1: Well, I'm glad you said of Cat's Game, because I realized... I, I was like, if you said Rancid, uh, Rancid, I uh, would be... Right, funny. right. I, I might have, like, figured it out, but uh, since Cat's Game, I was like, all right. Uh, yeah. What an interesting character. Um, uh, wow. Yeah. Just, I mean vibrant, smart, uh, energetic, great stage performance. Um, and uh, sadly, you know, sort of a, a mysterious, um, you know, death with him where yeah. um, I don't think anyone's ever really going to know what kind of happened, you know, and uh, I don't even, you know, uh, he had a lot of conspiracy theories the last times I talked to him. That's what I Absolutely. Dan,
0: Dan Walters knows has looked into it
1: yeah and and, and really i'm just trying to own it without me saying stories about what other people have said yeah yeah the last conversations i had on a lot of conspiracy theories of other popular civilization on other side of the moon and 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 all what these people were doing to make us anyway before that he was just political thinker right like he had really smart political lyrics and then got to that world and then yeah he's dead and you know very mysterious and odd and um but you know definitely uh you know an interesting part of the fabric of the punk rock scene of Vancouver.
0: Totally. And do we have one more Spence,
1: What is that it? <laughs> UFOs. See, my dad always was interested in space and stuff like this, and uh, UFOs followed this line that my dad used to talk about, oh, like things like Ouija boards. It's like, you don't laugh at them, but you don't take them seriously. Like, it's kind of like, you know, like, like just, they sit in this, and, and that was a good way for me to be able to accept kind of both things, but one time, ryan and myself went down to la and picked up our friend skippy uh sorry eric um he goes by eric um and and and, uh eric from and and sean um o'connor um in seattle and we went down to la and uh and this little car that i had and on the way back from los angeles and seeing all these shows um Sean and I were in the front seat. All I know is we're driving at night and these crazy lights were like way up at night and they just shone this lights down right in front of the highway and they didn't move and our highway was moving and we were like, what the fuck's going on? And it was like a, just a beam of light and, and and just they just were stationary in the sky. It was the craziest, weirdest thing in the world. And then they just disappeared. And we were like, motherfucker, he's like, Kim, if anyone ever asks you about UFOs, I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up on this one, man. That was the craziest thing I've ever fucking seen. Uh, uh, Eric and Ryan were like sleeping in the back. We're like, what the fuck's going on? They're like, whoa, what's going on? We're like, oh my God. We're like, what is it? I don't know. So uh that's the closest to my UFO experience, but it was fun. Crazy. Perfect. Thanks so much. I know I talk way too much and I'm loud, and uh I could have talked for another two hours, easy. But I enjoy the opportunity. I'm really grateful that uh, you guys uh, are putting me uh, as as a, one of the interview people for your is a rebirth of the podcast. I guess you would call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and just having a time to kind of chat about these uh, um, similar uh, histories and stories and crossovers that we have had uh, both of uh, all three of our lives. It's 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 a kind of a cool thing about the hardcore community.
0: Hundred percent. Thank you, Kim.
1: All right. Peace out, so, man. Kim. Thank Cheers. you so much. And if
0: anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that?
1: Oh, uh, Facebook. I have a public Facebook, like there's my own personal. And then there's like my public Facebook page. You could just kind of go on Facebook and look at Kim Kinnikin and there's a public like perso- I don't know. It's like called a, a personality page or something like that. That would be the smartest place to go. Yes. Kim oh. Kinnikin,
2: Thank you very much. It's been nice to talk to you again.
1: Yes, right All the to connect. Yeah, and let's chat after this has stopped recording because I, I want to share some, uh, talk to yes, you about something. For sure. Awesome.
0: Thank you, Kim. Thank uh, you.
1: This is a boy.